The following presentation is brought to you by KMmedia.pro. Please visit KMmedia.pro for more information. Now stay right where you are as we present. Welcome to Positive Talk Radio, evolving ideas, one conversation at a time. Great guests, dynamic stories and interviews, plus new thoughts on a wide range of topics and concepts. I hope that you'll hang with me, Kevin McDonald, my friends, and of course, you, as together we work to understand why we are all here and what we can do to make our world a better place for all of us to be happy, be kind, and live in peace together. Yep, that's Positive Talk Radio. The premiere episode of Positive Talk Radio. Yay! Of Positive Talk. Hold on, I gotta gotta do this. (laughs) Positive Talk Radio on the. And on the interwebs, and we're going to be doing this uh, uh, from 2 to 4 Pacific time. Now, of course, it's noon Pacific time, so we're going to be going even longer today. Um, but but long term, it's going to be 2 to 4 noon Pacific time and 5 to 7 um, uh, East Coast time. And it's going to be a two-hour show. And it's going to be chock full of guests, and none of which is any better than the one we have today for the first hour. And so I'm very pleased to have her with us but stay tuned for for that and you can you can uh you can go to my independence report you can go to positive talk radio or um km media pro all online and you can uh um and a couple of facebook channels and twitter and so you can go there and catch the entire episode so i'm i'm hopeful that you'll stay you'll uh, over time that this will become kind of a thing and and you got a, a nice positive place to uh, hang out for the afternoon. So, uh, with with that, I want to welcome um, my inaugural guest of this whole thing. Her name is Bracca Getz, and how are you, young lady? Wonderful, and you said my name perfectly. Terrific. <laughs> I've been practicing. <laughs> and Good. Because uh, Bracca is, uh, she's not your typical Harvard. You went to school at Harvard. You graduated big time um she's the author of 40 picture books that help children grow spiritually inspiring each uniquely beautiful soul soul to shine her books make life's deepest concerns clear in a delightfully simple way as children find big ideas and little words brocka gets can be contacted for presentations at brocka gets books at gmail.com and your website is brocka gets books.com right oh the gets bookshop actually the oh, gets bookshop. yeah the gets bookshop.com yep awesome because that that is a and you've got dare i say it 40 books that have been published and they're all children's books and they're all they all come from a very positive perspective yes and one book for adults 40 children's books and my memoir that's the only book i wrote for adults you got that okay so (laughs) i but i but i tell people i didn't really write the memoir because i i compiled it I write, I write really short books, really little book, but the, the memoir was, it's like 
my diary entries, journals, letters, like I took the, the highlights, I put them together and then I filled in the missing pieces and it's 20 years time. So it's, it's age 12 to 32. And basically you can see um, how I developed food addictions and how I was healed from it. So it's, and it's the, also the story of my spiritual journey because um, yeah, I, I, I was not an Orthodox Jew at the beginning of the book, but I became that at the end. So <laughs> yeah. And, and what's the title of the book? Oh yeah. Okay, I'm holding it up too. Searching for God in the Garbage. This is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but that's really what I was doing. And so that's how you got a title like this. Yes. Yeah. Well, that, that is really cool that, uh, that, you, are, that you are doing that. Um, uh, and you did it with, you know, your, your journey in mind and everything that you've done. Which is, which is really cool. And you should be really proud of yourself. Well, um, I yeah. I mean, I, I, I didn't even understand my journey until I compiled the book. Like, it, it, it's kind of a psychological mystery. And I solved, I, I solved the mystery myself at the end of the book because then I finally, all the missing pieces came together. Yeah. Oh, really cool. Um, and, and you were not an Orthodox Jew before, but now you are, is that, is, that, right. is that part yeah. of your spiritual journey? Yeah. I discovered my lost heritage because it was basically thrown away in the garbage, you know? So I went looking for it. Oh, exactly. that's a, that's a wonderful metaphor for, yeah. you know, because everybody goes through, I think a period in time when, and it, it you know, and I want to preface this by saying it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your religious feelings are or your spiritual. And, and I, I, I choose the word more spiritual because it doesn't have the dogma associated with it. It's got really what is pure to you and what means something to you. And everybody, I think, yearns to go through that. Is that what happened to you? And yes. what age did that happen? Well, at age 12 is when I started realizing there was... There's got to be more to life than what we see. Like, there's got to be more. I, at age 12, those questions started like, why do we get up every day to go to work, to make money, to buy food, to live another day, to go to work, to make money, to buy food? Like, what's this all for? That's when I started asking those questions. Up until then, you know, but at age 12, this awakening happened and I began my search, searching everywhere for the question, the theme of your positive talk radio show. Why are we all here? That was my question. Why are we all here? What are we doing here? And so I, I began searching into religions, many different religions and environmentalism, relationships. I mean, experimenting, you know, drugs, everything. I mean, and then I went into the search for wisdom. That's how I ended up at Harvard because I figured, okay, Harvard, I'm going to work really hard and get into this top institution where I can finally learn the wisdom to life. I really, you know, was expecting that would happen. Yeah. 
It didn't happen there. No, it didn't happen. Right. And um, in fact, I, I tell the story in the book. It's called, um, I, 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 I call it like meeting God at a garden party. Right. Because I was at this really exclusive garden party at Harvard. It was May. And there's like the Kennedys, the Rockefellers, Moynihan's, all these like the children of the most famous people at that time. And I felt like this is it. I have made it. I got to the top of the highest mountain. And, you know, you realize then when you're up close with these people that they're just like anybody else, you know, they're, they have also, you know, they're breathing in and out, just like, you know, they're the same people. And actually they looked as bored as anybody else, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And they're, and they, they are looking past the people they're talking to for more, you know, they're also searching for more. And I, 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 what happened at that party is that all of a sudden on this gorgeous, beautiful day in May, the sky filled up with storm clouds and boom, there was this huge thunderstorm and the whole party, everyone starts running the little, the little perfect green lawn, the little perfect sandwiches, everything got sopped and wet. And I, I remember I was skipping home, skipping back to the dorms and I'm thinking, I got to see the top and there's nothing up there. But I know now there's something even more powerful than this because they couldn't stop the rain from coming down on their own party. You know, like there's there's more. <laughs> um, but actually, this didn't lead to happiness at that. Later, it led to despondency because I felt so there's nothing like what is there to strive for in life, you know? So at that point, like the food addictions actually got worse. And by the time I graduated from Harvard and I went on to medical school, I, by then I wanted to be a psychiatrist, but yet I was getting sicker and sicker myself, you know, Um, and nobody knew it. Because when you have an addiction, it's totally hidden. Nobody knew the bizarre behaviors I was doing. But I do. I write all about these things. It's like I go into the horrible, raw details of how low my life sunk. Um, Because if I don't, then you can't imagine how high it actually got afterwards. You have to see the contrast, you know, to see how low things got. Exactly. Uh, now, let me ask yeah. you: what, what the food addictions? Yeah. What what were was that uh, bulimia and bulimia and uh, and anorexia? Kind of like, except I really didn't know how to. I didn't like throwing up. So thank God, I feel like my life was saved because I didn't. I couldn't do that. You know, um, I I would have if I could have, but I couldn't. So, you know, it was it was like fluctuating between anorexic kind of behaviors like extreme dieting and binging. So I was doing one or the other. So I looked okay, but I wasn't like extremely emaciated and I wasn't super overweight because I was, you know, fluctuating between those two things, but it was the most, it was a horrible life. I was imprisoned by that way of thinking all the time. It was, it was zapping my energy. And um, 
an addiction is a prison. That's what I was stuck inside of a prison where I was just always thinking about the, the food. And it's many people say it's a it's really a control issue. That's so much what these things are about. And I say also it's a trust issue. And I, I can say that now because I didn't trust life and I didn't trust myself. And I, I, so that's why the world felt out of control. It felt like things were, it felt like a world of anarchy and randomness. And until I finally found the purpose to life, which was, which I was so desperate to find and, and why I was kind of giving up at that point and why life became so, that desperate search for more and more to fill myself up is because the more empty a person feels inside, the more they try to fill it up with externalities. So um, I was feeling emptier and emptier. And what I say is it was a genuine hunger. There really, there was a real hunger. And that's why always why people have addictions because there's a genuine hunger and we try to fill it with these other temporary things, but it doesn't bring us lasting pleasure in life. So it's it's, it's kind of like you would uh, go from give me those chips and give them to me now to I can't eat another chip for the rest of my life to give me those chips. That would be a hell of a roller coaster to be on. Hell of a roller coaster. Exact, a, a, a hellish roller coaster. That's what it felt like. Exactly. Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you got out of it. Now, we, you know, I, and I'm glad we're having this second conversation. By the way, if you want to go to uh, look at our first conversation, you can do that by going to positive talk uh, radio dot net. Um, but but I didn't realize that you were you went to medical school after Harvard. Yes. So you're yeah. a very bright young lady. I hope so. Yeah. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> and and so did you get your degree? Did you become a doctor? Nope. What happened is the summer between my first and second year of medical school, I had a six-week break. I went to Israel for six weeks. I came back 10 years later. <laughs> So, so you got you got held captive there, or did <laughs> you find it so interesting there that you that you just could not bear to go away? Yeah, I found I finally got the spiritual nourishment, and that was the most important thing. That's what I that was more important to me than anything else. So when I got the spiritual nourishment that I was craving, I stayed to immerse myself and learn more about it. And I took on a spiritual path in life. So I went in a whole different direction. Now, I got to ask you, because a lot of people and many people that listen to Positive Talk Radio have done the exact same thing you did, but they do it much later in life. Why Hmm. was it at 12 years old for you? That's a great question. Um, we, We, in... In, in Judaism, you know, we believe that at age 12, a girl becomes a woman. So new parts of me became awakened, you know, and 
that's, I think, when my consciousness expanded and my awareness expanded. So definitely there were hormonal changes at that age. You know, I was just developing into a new kind of person. And with more awareness, I started thinking more deeply about life and, and what the purpose of life was. And that's when that search began. And it went on for 10 years until I was 22 when I finally was able to get an answer to that question that fit inside my soul and nourished it. And that was, that was still at the early age of 22. Yes. When very, did you decide? Very grateful. Yeah. Oh yeah. When did you decide to write uh, children's books? Right. Soon afterwards. Let's see. Um, I met my husband um, soon, a few months after I decided to stay in Israel. And he has a similar story to me. He actually was born like a couple of blocks away from me in New York, but we had never met. I, he had moved away before I was born. But still, our backgrounds were similar. And he grew up in California. And he was one of those searchers also in California, you know, so he had also finished college and he was searching for more too. And he went to Israel for the same reason as me. So we met in Jerusalem. And basically, um, after we met, then, um, you know, we began starting a family there. And it was when I, I had like a couple of children and I was sitting outside while they were playing. I started writing in my notebook and I, I sent it. This was, no, I had no computer. I wrote it on loose leaf paper. I stuck it in an envelope. I mailed it to America. And like six weeks later, I got back um, a, a letter saying my book was accepted. So that was my first children's book. And from then on, I realized I could share like this newfound wisdom that I had with the world. So I've just kept doing it. That's, that's, I, I try to write the books I wished I had as a child, books that addressed that I'm a spiritual being and how to nourish souls. Yeah. You're a spiritual being having a physical experience. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're here for. Yep. Yep. Now, now, <laughs> I got to ask you, have you then dis discovered for yourself, because I really think the the gospel according to the movie City Slickers, are you are you familiar with that movie? No. Okay, it was a Billy, Billy Crystal movie, and uh, one of the characters at one point, he was a, um, a cattle drive uh, leader, and, and, uh, and Billy Crystal asked him, what's the secret to life? And he said, and Billy Crystal said, your finger? I said, no, one thing. One thing is the secret to life. And uh, he said, well, then tell me, what is it? And uh, he said, uh, it's different for everybody. Right? So one thing, that the, the secret to life is within you. And you have to decide what that secret is and what that's all about. Oh, so in your world, what became the secret to life for you? The, the secret to life is gratitude. Oh, that's very, that's very profound. Yeah, that, that's what I learned. It, it changed everything. Be I, I've never said this before, but I really want to try and say it right now. Hope it comes out right. When, when I learned about gratitude, 
then getting up in the morning to go to work it's it then you're getting up in the morning to go to work to make money to buy food to go to work another day I, I, everything changes the same scenario becomes something completely different when you look at it through eyes of gratitude I think that's 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 a beautiful statement right there because if you look through it if you look rather than it's because today's Monday morning um rather than oh man it's Monday I gotta get up I gotta go to work gotta go do this and you feel like you're on a treadmill and you're doing the same thing day after day after day after day if you if you change that paradigm into I am so happy to and fortunate to have the job that I have to have the family that I have, the kids that I have, I'm able to make a living so that I can uh, prosper and have a wonderful house and do all the things that I'm doing. And even if you're in the process of getting that and you don't have everything lined up, you're, you are still in the process of gratitude because that's, that's what you're working for. And the universe rewards that. I think God rewards that kind of thinking, don't you? Yet yeah, there's no question about it. it. That the world becomes the garden that it was meant to be when we look at it through eyes of gratitude. I wish that there were more people that were looking through the eyes of gratitude today. Um, I, I, yesterday I, was, I had some time, so I was messing around with Facebook and with uh, YouTube. It's like... There is a lot of negativity out there of of people. I don't know if you if you your best in my opinion, you're best to even stay away from those those things because there's a lot of negativity and a lot of people that are in pain. And uh, you you seem to be a joyful person. You like what you're doing. You you appreciate life and what you're doing. I think that's awesome. And and you too. That's the purpose of Positive Talk Radio. The fact that you are doing something so meaningful and the fact that there are so many people hurting in the world that adds even more meaning to this work there's so much to be done we to help people to live lives of gratitude again yes i couldn't agree with you more because you know we we are it's it's like we always are asking the question why are we here what's what's going on and and uh, but if you live your life from a place of of gratitude and appreciation for everything around you just walking outside and uh walking into the into nature and to hang around with the trees and and stuff or to play with your kids how many kids have you ended up having we have six amazing children and and they're all parents now wonderful parents thank god you were telling me and uh and i you you said you wouldn't believe it if, if I told you. So I think that that's appropriate for this forum because I told somebody that story. I said, I recently interviewed a wonderful young lady and uh, she told me she had six kids. And and she said, well, that's a lot. I said, oh, you haven't seen anything yet. Um, she's also got, how many grandkids do you have? Thank God, 34 grandchildren. Yeah. 34 grandchildren, six kids. And uh, all of them are are living in gratitude and doing well. Yes, they really are. That's the best part. <laughs> yes, I really, really 
I'm so grateful that I was able to infuse gratitude in the children and that they are passing it on to their children. Yeah. And you've created you've you've created an actual city with yeah. a number of people that because you've got so, so many kids and 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 stuff. But now, how old is your oldest grandchild? Um, he's almost twenty. Holy mackerel! And you know, you're only thirty two. Isn't so that they, amazing? You work, you yeah, work really fast. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> so that and that is that is just awesome that uh, that you. You know, because you chose to live a life. I want you to think about this. And, well, you know this, but I want to hold you up as as a shiny example to other people that are out there. Because you've lived your life from the age of 22. By the way, there's another book in you that's got another adult book that's got to come out about living living life in gratitude. But you, you, you made that paradigm switch when you were in your early 20s. You then uh, met the man of your dreams, I assume. Um, you are, you, you had six kids together. You've got 34 grandchildren. You have a life that most people would die for, would be very envious of because you've got, you know, you've got, you've got family. I can't imagine how many, now you're, I know your family's all over the world, but when, but I imagine that getting all of you together is not only a monumental feat, it requires a lot of food. Yeah. That's true. No, it doesn't happen often. And that's why, yeah, I was telling you too, I'm so grateful for technology because, you know, Zoom is very helpful in like we can all be on there, the children, the grandchildren. It's a blast. Yeah. It's not easy to get together in person, everybody. Yeah. So are you going to write that book about, about gratitude? It could happen. Anything could happen. <laughs> That's you know, and that is isn't that the one the other wonderful perspective that you have is that that when when you believe that the universe is and God is acting on your behalf, then anything is possible. Then yeah, everything is then possible. Exactly. It's it it changes everything. If if you believe that there's an ultimate good reason for everything. Oh my gosh, that adds so much trust to your life. Then you trust life again and you trust yourself again. If you trust that your essence, your essence is infinite. Your your essence is capable of just about anything. It's you have a totally different perspective on life. Yeah. And your essence would be translated another another word for that would be your soul. Yes, your soul, your spirit. That's that's the essential you. That's who you really are. And no matter what a person has been through, like um, a, a child has been through abuse, neglect as a child, they get lots and lots of coverings put on their their pure soul. But their pure soul is still there. They get lots of protective coverings put on top of it because they've been through that pain. But but down deep in there, there is still the chance for resilience because the purity is still available. And um, a person that's been through such trauma, they, they may need therapeutic intervention in addition to the nourishment that their soul is craving. They may need, need therapeutic intervention to support them to get better, to remove the protective coverings, which they can't do by themselves. But 
they still have the potential to shine again. And um, in fact, two of my books are about the prevention of abuse of children, because again, all my books are to help children's souls to shine. So if we, if we can help to prevent abuse, that will help many more children's souls to shine. And also by acknowledging it, it helps the children to recover from abuse. And like I have, I can tell you like an, one of my children's books, my newest book is Let's Stay Healthy. Because if we don't have healthy bodies, again, you know, I went to medical school and I'm very interested in medicine. I'm interested, I mean, in health. That's what I want to say. And even as an undergraduate at Harvard, I was taking courses at the Graduate School of Public Health and Harvard Medical School because I always loved this. So the, the mind-body connection is fascinating to me. In the book, I explain to children why why eating healthy is so good for us. Like, not just do it, but why. Like, like how how the unhealthy food, like it actually takes the food, takes the nutrients out of our bones. It's unbelievable. It, it, it's really um, like, like the natural foods, they are so different. These natural foods, like an orange, first of all, they become, they become beautiful, the most beautiful color when they're ripe on the tree. That's when the bright, bright colors come out and then they're beautiful to look at. They smell beautiful and, um, you know, they're interesting to touch. And of course, they're delicious and juicy to eat. And they have the, um, the peel. The peel keeps the juiciness in for months. Like they're individually packaged with this amazing peel and inside are seeds of infinity. It goes on forever. They can reproduce over and over and over again on these amazing trees that the, the seeds grow into. So it's just, it's the most amazing experience. When we eat these natural foods, it doesn't only nourish our bodies, it nourishes our souls because we are filled with gratitude when we mindfully recognize how awesome these natural things are for us. And you are pretty awesome yourself, I <laughs> do have to say, because that, that is a great way to explain to a little one why eating healthy is, is good. And, and you're right. You know, I don't know that, that we, I, okay. I know that, that we know that, that uh, nature is uh, an amazing thing. But I don't think that when you start analyzing that an apple that grows on the tree is designed to feed both animals and, uh, and people, and then their seeds, which are not designed to be eaten, uh, one way or another, end up on the ground, and yes. then that becomes another tree. It's amazing. It, and that's, that is the circle of life. Yes. And we don't, you know, we get, we get caught up in the busyness and the stuff and this, but we don't think about how simplistic yet complicated it all is. Yes. Beautiful. That's, that's exactly my books. I'd like to take the most complex things and present them in the most simple way possible, simple and joyful so that children can absorb them 
really early on in life and they don't have to play catch up the rest of their lives. They, they have the tools for happiness from the very beginning. That's, that's my goal. Yeah. You know, and it, the fact of the matter is, and I hate to say it, but in a lot of cases, we get the happiness beat out of us when we're children. That, that could happen. And not, and, and, and not, 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 not just physically, but we get, don't be, don't, don't, uh, we're told not to do things. The joyful things that children do, we're told not to do any of that. And I'm not even talking about abuse. I'm just talking about the normal the things of life. We end up, you know, uh, making children less joyful and to follow what they're supposed to do um and don't laugh just sit there and be quiet you know don't you know and in it it it, i think it retards their their abilities to to be joyful and then we have to then you know we spend the first five six years of our life being joyful and and having fun and stuff then it, it gets taken out of us and then we spend the rest of our lives trying to get it back exactly so true we don't ever need to lose it. So right. We have to keep that sense of joy and wonder in our lives. And that's, that's what gratitude does. The more we exercise our gratitude muscles, the easier it becomes. Why? Because, you know, we have neuroplasticity. So as we create the neural pathways for gratitude, it becomes more natural for the neurons to travel on those pathways. So the more you exercise your gratitude muscles, you practice gratitude, the easier it becomes to have a life of gratitude, which is a life of joy. How do you personally practice uh, exercising your gratitude muscle? I like that, that term. Yeah. Okay. And I, I want to share with you, this is, what changed my life. And this is what I'm, I'm just loving sharing this with everybody so they can also have as joyful a life. There is what, what the, this, this rabbi that summer described to me, the pleasure ladder. This, this is based on ancient mystical wisdom. There are five rungs to the pleasure ladder and the five rungs correspond to the five levels of the human soul. So it's universal. This applies to everybody. And, and like you were saying about, you were saying how it's everybody for themselves can determine what brings them happiness, but there are certain universal themes. And within those themes, it's uniquely what you choose. So, he, so I'll explain. So like, I mean, like for instance, some people might like oranges more than apples. You know, everybody has an individual preference. And that's why. There is such an infinite abundance of choices for us too. It's like amazing, amazing how many, how many even types of apples there are. I mean, I'm not sure how many. It could be like there's thousands. It's incredible, unbelievable. So, so on the lowest level of pleasure are all the physical pleasures, like you mentioned, being in nature, music, movement, dance, yoga, you know, all these things bring us physical pleasure. That's just the lowest level. The second level is love. And love, amazingly, is not dependent on anybody else. It's not waiting for someone to come into your life. It's not waiting for the phone to ring. It's you 
focusing on the virtues of somebody else. It's you. So a person even in prison could think about a grandmother that once did something kind to them. And they are filled with this emotional feeling of love that motivates them to become a better person. It's like, it's a real lasting pleasure. And again, nobody else, each level on this pleasure ladder, you can do by yourself. You're not dependent on anybody else. You can bring this orange into your life and you can experience gratitude for it. You can focus on the virtues of another being and you suddenly feel love. Third level up is meaning, doing something meaningful like, like your show. The, you know, positive talk radio is doing something meaningful for the, for the world. You, it fills you with pleasure. And each level up is a, is a more lasting pleasure and it brings a wider connection. Because when we have an addiction or when we're feeling sad or miserable or anxious or depressed, we're feeling disconnection, alienation, you know, um, estrangement from others. So we bring connection in and we, we feel gratitude and we, we add connection to um, a natural physical thing, another person, meaning, doing something meaningful for another. And what's even higher than meaningful, doing something meaning is creativity we put a unique part of ourselves into the world. Again, like you are doing with this unique show. This is something that is so needed in the world, but you're doing something creative. When we do something creative, like we get into a zone where we don't feel like eating or even sleeping, we are on such a high pleasure. So what's left, what's the highest pleasure of all is transcendence. It's that state of awe and wonder when we see how we're all connected. And again, this is what you say. I heard this is what you say at the end of your show. We are all one. We are all one. We here we give life to all the vegetation. The vegetation says, here's life. And we say, here's life right back. We're all connected. There's this energy flowing through all of us and it's all coming from source energy and it's flowing between us all. We're all connected. Um, transcendence is when the veil of separation lifts and we see that. So I, 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 oh, here, here it is. Okay, this is it. These are the five levels of pleasure, physical pleasures, love, meaning, creativity, and transcendence. This is the pleasure ladder and what, how do we get to each rung? There's just one price we need to pay. What, what do you think that price is? You know it. What is that price we need to pay to get to each rung? Just do it. And experience? Love? Gratitude. Gratitude. Oh, jinx. It. it was right there in front of me. Yes, I that's <laughs> it. That's it. It's gratitude that brings us love. It gratitude. It's gratitude that fills us with the spiritual pleasures. It fills our body and our soul with pleasure. It's gratitude that gives us, that wants us to give back to the world with meaning and creativity. And gratitude is when we feel, oh my gosh, under that starry, starry sky, such gratitude. We are part of the most awesome thing. And I read in Psychology Today just recently 
research has just discovered that the state of mind that brings um, the most chemicals that cause healing in our body and that fights off disease is that state of awe, that state of transcendence, that state of wonder. Like they're just discovering this now, but ancient wisdom knew this. This is this is what our souls are all about. This is this is the the wisdom to life that I was craving and that changed my life. And that's what I'm enjoy sharing now. So everybody can experience this joy. We 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 need to it's it's about it's about experiencing gratitude for where you are right now, right now. You know, it's interesting that you. I I love that that the pleasure. As a matter of fact, uh, did you is that is that uh, ancient wisdom or did you create that? Totally not from me. This is from the Kabbalah, ancient mystical wisdom that teaches this, and that's. You know that when I finally got to the depths of this knowledge, this this is it. These are the instructions for living that we don't know about. That's yeah. why you you have to write this next book <laughs> because you you say it beautifully and and it is and it is so true. And by the way, when you say uh, the 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 ladder of love, um, you don't and you and then you then you said that uh, you don't need to have anybody else. Be, if you if you learn to love yourself first, you know, I believe that you need to that you'd be best served to love yourself before you can love another person. Yeah, and and how do you love yourself through gratitude? You start appreciating all the parts of you. That's exactly it. That's what bring fills you with love for yourself, for others. When you start appreciating parts of yourself, because again, a child that went through abuse or neglect, they they don't appreciate themselves. They've been taught not to appreciate themselves. They have to relearn. So um, if anyone's been through traumas like that, you need other people supporting you as well, for sure, in order to get to that place of loving yourself. So then you can love others too. Then it, the world becomes a different kind of place. Well, you know, and I, I, I agree with you that the, the concept of we are all one is, is not an out there concept. It is really is basic science. It yes. is, it is vibration. It is energy. It is that we are, we are all energetic beings. We all come from the same place. We have the same origins uh, regardless of what we look like, regardless of our sexual attitudes or orientations, we all come from the same place. And if we could, if we as a world could recognize that the people in um, um, Ukraine are the same as the people in Russia, are the same as everyone else, and that killing our, that by killing others, we're actually killing ourselves. Yes. I think, I think that would change that would change that in an instant. The problem is getting the egos out of the way yes, and getting people to recognize that regardless of your tribe, if you will, that we divide ourselves into little tribes, we are all one. And that we, if we, if we accept that we can literally change the world. Absolutely. The, as you say, follow the science. It's the first law of thermodynamics. No energy 
is ever lost or destroyed. It's the same energy flowing through all of us. It gets recycled. Our souls get recycled too. I mean, this is, we're all part of really, all our separate souls are all part of one soul. So that's another belief, you know, that, that's really intrinsic. We, there are differences between us and that's beautiful too. You know, there's so many unique differences and all the different colors are so beautiful. That's what makes the rainbow so awesome. We, we, it could have been, it could have been that we just took um, a tasteless pill and that's all we needed to survive. But no, there's such variety, unbelievable variety, such an abundance of gifts for us. So yeah, there are differences, but it's all part of one. The whole purpose for our being here is to experience gratitude. And we've gone so far off course from that. So as if we can get back to gratitude, I mean, Putin wouldn't have a reason to be doing this. You know what I mean? He'd be so grateful for what he's got already, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you, 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 yeah, I, I don't want to get into the politics, but it's, 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 such a, it's such a sad situation that we find ourselves in. And that's why, you know, when Positive Talk started in 2003, we had just, we were in the process of ev- invading Iraq. There is a reason why this show is is being brought back and why it needs to t- take a forefront and needs to talk to people like you because the other the 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 other side is getting way too much publicity uh of, of negativity hate division and fear and not enough about love and taking care of each other and living our lives like like you say in gratitude it, you know exactly it's a cult of scarcity that's taken over and we need to bring back the the mindset of abundance because that's really that's the reality i love what you have to say and i really you know it's the coolest thing because uh i love your books by the way we've been we are talking with braca gets if you go to uh her uh, if you go to your, her Amazon page, you can see all of her books, and they are all there for the, your kids. They're beautifully illustrated. Um, who's your illustrator? Was it you? No, I wish. I, I do love to draw, but I so, haven't yet written a book that I felt I could illustrate well enough. So, no, the publishing companies, they usually choose their own illustrators, but once in a while I get to pick um Sometimes companies ask me to pick my an illustrator, so I do that sometimes too. Yeah. And and, and you talk about you talk about loss, you talk about spiritual um, um, spiritual gifts, staying healthy, being at home. It's, it's just it's it's wonderful diversity. That's that's what you're offering people with your with all of your all of your writing. And but oh. I really go oh ahead. I got to say this. Speaking of diversity. Here's a book, Let's Appreciate Everyone. This book teaches young children about disabilities. The the loneliest children are the children with disabilities. So, you know, when when a child sees someone with a disability, they, they naturally stare because they're curious. 
So this book offers, there's another word that also begins with the letter S, like stare. And it's also five letters, and that is smile. If you add your smile to your stare, because staring is natural, it changes everything. It makes a connection form between you and the other child. So when you see a person with a disability, don't just stare, add your smile, and then you start to feel a connection between you. And I give in here practical tips. Like if you meet someone in a wheelchair, sit down next to them so you're on the same level. If you meet someone blind, make sure you introduce yourself. They don't know, say who you are. If you're going away, say I'm going now. If you meet someone that's deaf, you speak slowly so they can hopefully read your lips or you write them a note or you draw them a picture, different ways to communicate. And there's so many children with invisible disabilities, like they're just sitting by the side. They're not playing with everybody else. So the book encourages you, go over, ask them, would you like to join in? And they might not want to, but it will still warm their heart that you asked. And it will warm your heart when you make someone else's soul shine, then your soul shines too. That's the name of your book, by the way. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I know. I, I'm not going to let you get away with that. Okay. You, 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 you have got to write that because it, you have a very unique perspective, but you are um, a very spiritual person and, and you are living it and you're working to live it on a daily basis. There are many people that claim to be spiritual or claim to be um, uh I don't know, enlightened. That's another favorite word of mine that, that people use. I'm an enlightened soul. But actions are more important than words, and uh, in at least in my opinion. And, and uh, there are lots of people who claim to be that and are not. You are not claiming to be that, and you are. What a contradiction. Thank you so deeply. Thank you so much for how much you're resonating. I appreciate it. Really, thank you. Yeah, you are you are just it, it, it's amazing, and and you and more more importantly, this episode is going to help people, and somebody's going to listen to this, and they're going to and they're going to listen to it again, because your your um, your number one your passion is is wonderful. Thank and you also, so much. And also the the words and be be grateful, uh, you know, be grateful for what you have, be grateful for who you are. Um, and, uh, and, and just the, the universe, you know, I get the biggest kick out of people because some people will say, I, when they, when they say, uh, <clears throat> well, is God around? And I said, have you looked outside lately? <laughs> it's like, well, that's not God. It's like, who the heck do you think designed all of this and put it into play? It, it, there's another, <laughs> okay. You've already written that book. Uh, <laughs> You know, where is God? Where is God? Yes. And his he and the, and the reality is he's everywhere, and he's responsible for running this entire thing. And nature is part of that, which is why another one of my my passions is uh, we have got to protect the planet. Have you written that book yet? Yeah, that's the one of the next books coming up. Thank oh. you. Yes. Oh. Good. Exactly. We have got to we've got to learn how to protect the planet and to yes. keep it from from disintegrating into because the planet yes. 
the planet's going to survive, but the planet may decide to say, you know, there's this organism that's walking across the face of me that, that is causing me great damage. And so I'm not going to allow that to continue. So we as human beings need to be take a lot better care. Yes, exactly. We have the opportunity to do that. It's a it's a wonderful privilege. Exactly. Yep. And it, it's something that uh, that we can that we can do. Some, somebody was commenting and, and uh, put in some stuff that is not appropriate for anybody. So and, the, the, you know, the, the interesting thing is I, I hope that they recognize that that by doing stuff like that, that they are that they are hurting themselves. And they're not hurting me at all. And they're certainly not hurting you. So, you know, so I've, I have appreciated our, our time together. You are, you are just awesome. And Abraka Getz is, has been our guest. She is an author of 40 children's books. She's an author of 30, no, 40 human beings. Oh, how about that? <laughs> you've created 40 human beings and you've written 40 children's books. Wow. Wait, is that right? Wait a minute. 34 and 4. And 6. Okay. 34. Yes! I never realized it. Wow. Wow. How awesome. Yes, Thank indeed. Thank you. You, you, you for, every, for every child or every soul that you've had a hand in bringing into this wow. world, you've written a book for them. Oh, I my think that's gosh. Cool. Nobody cool. ever realized that before. I love it. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> you're, you're you're more than welcome i just did the math but, including you know. me i didn't get it thank you <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's great fun and uh um i i and you must come back i must have you back oh goody can't wait thank you i mean i can wait but thank you yes <laughs> <laughs> and, and before we go because i i'm coming up next we have uh, a guest who's gonna Going to uh, be a, a different uh, guest, but I think she's going to be wonderful as well. Velvet Steel is going to join us. She's from Vancouver, and I uh, hope that you guys will stay uh, where you are for that. But before we go, Brock, I just wanted you to be able to tell our audience anything that you would like them to know. Um, oh, okay, anything. Well, um, how can you tell the difference between a real diamond and a fake diamond? I don't know. How can you? Okay. A real diamond has flaws. So we, we are all real diamonds, but we have flaws and that's natural. And we're here for that reason. You know, we're here to work on our flaws. That's great, but we could do it with joy. Don't get down on any flaws that you have. And here's the thing. People that work on diamonds, they don't call them flaws. They call them inclusions. This is a part of us, you know, the things that aren't perfect. That's who we are. But we can still shine even with these inclusions, you know, these flaws. We can still shine. And I hope that after listening to this show, everybody can shine a little bit more, have gratitude for some little thing in their life that they didn't before the fact that they're breathing the fact that they have arms and legs you know it's a miracle be grateful for all the diseases you don't have this very moment there is so much to be grateful for so thank you so much for letting me be on this wonderful wonderful show 
you are just you are entirely welcome and by the way we've discovered three books now that have to be written uh <laughs> about about spirituality and about how we should be living to take care of each other and and stuff like that you are you you are incredible and uh, go to uh i believe it's uh um braca gets book store.com oh, right oh gets bookshop.com gets bookshop.com my children created this whole thing the gets bookshop.com yep <laughs> go there and uh, and then buy the books you know yeah i know you can pick them up on amazon and other places but you can you pick them up from your website you could pick them up on the website it helps my children which is wonderful and also if you don't want if you don't have children to buy the food you can call your library you can tell your libraries to order the books get the messages out into the world help spread the joy yeah that that's a great idea that that, that is a really cool idea so uh gets and by the way that's b-r-a-c-h-a gets as in um Bracca gets uh, Bracca gets spirituality. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Gets is gets is with the O in there that you don't see, but G O E T Z. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, or or Bracca gets has um, um, gratitude. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And you, it, it is great to have you here. I'm I'm looking forward to the next time we talk because you know what I'm finding is just just as an aside. I've had, I do a lot of interviews. I've done a lot of interviews and the, the first time I've met somebody and we had a really good time the first time that we met, but this conversation has been so much deeper than that conversation was because we know each other a little bit. Yes. So it's, it's very important. And, uh, and I want to thank you for being here. You are, you are extraordinary. And, uh, I, and I'm, and I, and I wish I, I'm grateful for your existence here. Thank you. I feel the same way. Thank you so very much. You add to the planet. You add to all of us. <laughs> you <And> too. <laughs> I know. Well, together we together we're gonna get this stuff done. Yes. So with that, I want to thank you so much. I'm gonna I'm gonna play my closing, and then I will be. Then my next guest will be here, and so don't go away. We'll be back in a few minutes. But uh, I wanted to do this first. Thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of KMmedia.pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named KMmedia.pro for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to each other because each other's all we've got. We'll see you next time. And we are still live, but I just wanted to say thank you very much. And uh, I appreciate it, uh, Bracca. And, and we'll get together soon. Okay, great. And if you hit that little leave uh, uh, thing there, then you can you can go about your day and live in gratitude. Okay. <laughs>
of getting her uh, all hooked up here. And so we'll get that done. But I wanted to remind everybody that this is a continuing presentation of Positive Talk Radio. And uh, I, if you want to go to, uh, well, I encourage you to go to my independent report, or excuse me, positivetalkradio.net. And uh, there's a subscribe button. Um, you can also um, uh, you can also donate to the cause. We are accepting donations now in a in a broad way of 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 helping um, us get the message out about what we're doing. This is the first episode that I that we've done and of that we are continuing to do like three hours all in a row without any breaks. So I'm hopeful that I don't drink too much coffee, if you know what I mean, and uh, and stuff. But uh, our guest is Velvet Steel, and she'll be coming on here in just a second. Um, let me see if I if I add her to the stream, and I unmute her. Can't unmute your guest. Their mic isn't connected. So Brock or Velvet, you're you need to connect your microphone if you can hear me. But I just wanted to say uh, for uh, Brock, she was she was just she was just fantastic and uh and that's that's going to be a lot more what i what i've done by the way just so you know um is that I, over the course of the last two and a half years and and beyond that i've interviewed uh somewhere in the neighborhood of close to 600 people and some of them are just r- remarkable human beings and some of them not so much some of the authors are really good and some of them just like us just like the human condition and human beings and so the ones that i that resonated with me that i think are really working in a legitimate way to help the planet they're the ones that i have uh, that i've asked to come back and to form the really the backbone of this show there are going to be a tremendous amount of different types of people, including metaphysical people that work with energy, uh, Matthew Stapley, Dana Parker, um, and several others, and many others, and uh, also uh, authors and coaches. I had a coach on this morning, uh, Allison uh, uh, Roberts, who is one of the top 100 coaches in the world. And, oh, you know what? I think, I think Velvet has... Uh, is making her appearance. Can Velvet? Can, uh, you hear? can you hear me? I can hear you. Kid, just can't see you. I, I'm just I can see that. I had this problem just the other day with my camera. I don't know what's going on, and I finally figured it out. And uh, I don't know what's going on. Let me just have a little look here and see what's going on. I think I might have it right here. Here we go. Ah. There we are. <laughs> it's magic. It's it's the magic of, of radio. There we are. So with that, why don't you stay right there? I'm going to play an opening for you so that people know who we are and stuff, and then we'll get right into talking with uh, with uh, um, Velvet Steel. We'll be right back. The following presentation is brought to you by KMMedia.pro. Please visit KMMedia.pro for more information. Now stay right where you are as we present... Welcome to Positive Talk Radio, evolving ideas, one conversation at a time. Great guests, dynamic stories and interviews, plus new thoughts on a wide range of topics and concepts. I hope that you'll hang with me, Kevin McDonald, my friends, and of course, you. As together, we work to understand why we are all here and what we can do to make our world a better place for all of us to be happy, be kind, and live in peace together. Yep. 
That's Positive Talk Radio. To another episode of Positive Talk Radio. This is the 11th of of, of April, and uh, we're and 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 although we are starting a brand new thing here on on Positive Talk Radio, which I don't know is being done very many places on the in the YouTube channel or the YouTube world. Uh, we are we're broadcasting for, to three YouTube channels live, and a couple of Facebook channels live, and we are doing this five days a week two hour, at least two hours a day and then that starts today and you are one of our first guests so thank you well thank you for having i'm so honored that you're doing that that's really truly exciting such a wide audience and i'm yeah. hoping i'm hoping that over time that this will become a very positive place where people can can look at new thoughts new ideas about about life and about things that we are all 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 about so uh, thank you. Thank you very much for being here. You are in Vancouver or that area. Yeah, and I'm right downtown Vancouver. The beautiful West End, the Vancouver people know that folks know the area. So I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, it's a beautiful area. Yeah, so, so tell us about yourself. What, what, do, you, what do you do with all your time and, uh, and, and things? Well, I get, oh, yeah, okay. Um, multi-talented, I like to say, you know, I know the whole saying is like master of all trades, jack of none, or, or jack of all trades, master of none, but that's not me. I am a mistress of all trades and, you know, mistress of everything as far as I'm concerned. So I'm, you know, my world right now currently has sort of taken sort of an organic approach or, or direction in regards to activism and human rights activism, more so in the realm of trans and sex worker rights and things like that. But, um, you know, I spent a good portion of my adult life being a hairstylist, a uh, fetish fashion model, um, as well as a professional dominatrix. And uh, yeah, so it sort of sort of moved on into that whole process of things that I was doing to support myself and be uh, true to myself as the person that I am uh, and, you know, earn a living, have a roof over my head, clothes on my back, food on the table, uh, medical, dental, all those other different things. And then along the way, I was approached by lots of different um, nonprofit organizations here in Vancouver, if I would be interested in coming on board to talk about and uh, fight for the rights of the sex workers here in this country, Canada. So um, I graciously accepted for the most part, most of these organizations and, uh, you know, found my fit in terms of who I wanted to stay with and ally with. And that that's just seems to be where it's just gone from here on in. Um, and, you know, and as a result of that as well, I've also become a sensitivity facilitator with the city of Vancouver. Um, so I work for them on call uh, as a contractor. Then I go out to private uh, organizations as well as public organizations. Uh, and I'm paid by the city of Vancouver to go in and do these different things. The, the most notable of late that I did was the Vancouver Police Department. So I trained all their members as well and talked to them about different things with my with relevancy to my community and people out there. And uh, who they need to look for and how they need to treat people and, and so forth. So it just seems to have, the balls really started, you know, exploding and, and moving in a very fast um, manner that I really wasn't quite prepared for, but here I am. Well, I'll tell you, it is at least in, I, I, and I'm not quite sure how it is in Canada, but I assume it's fairly close to how it is down here. Although we're, we're a little less evolved than you are up, up there. You guys are a little smarter than a lot of us are down here. So, um, <laughs> There is a certain amount of irony to that, though. I mean, where you guys are progressive with a lot of other things down there, we're not. 
um, you know, so there's, there's, so I think it has its good and its bad. And, uh, you know, what I like to think is that we work well with all of our allies and our organizations that are, are south of the border from us. So we're really happy to be working with lots of organizations and sharing information and dealing with certain things, you know. Well, that's a, that's a, that's that's really cool because can what I'd like to do if if possible, I would like for us to see if we can educate some of the people that will be listening now and in the future of the, that uh, you know my 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 philosophy is just so, just so you know. Um, by the way, Christopher Logan is the one who's who uh, who sent me you to come on this show and he he did a great job it was a great interview and so he speaks very very highly of you so i i just wanted you to know that and christopher's the the oh. actor director screenwriter and who's lovely down thank you i i will thank christopher for that he you know he he was so excited to put my name forward to you so he had to just message me right away so i really appreciate that yeah he did it and, and he did a fabulous job we had a great interview like we're we're having with you but i wanted to get into um first of all my 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 position is i believe that we are all one i believe that we are all one people we and regardless of what we look like who we love who we you know what we do that we are still human beings that we are still all all together and we are all one now there are people who would tell me that i'm that they have limits as far as who they're willing to admit as part of their tribe or 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 whatever and and i i think that the reason you're getting so busy is people are recognizing that this isn't going away that people are people and they've been hiding in for years and years but they're not hiding anymore and so it's is that been your experience a little bit it, it totally has been my experience one of the things that i was always saying to people and you know i think a lot of us have you know, the proverbial saying of coming out of the closet, right, really, I think, applies to a lot of different people out there. And I think once you've done that, you really can't go back in. Um, yeah. And to be really effective as the person that you are and in the jobs that you choose to do or, the you know, the line of work or activism or uh, advocacy that you're doing, you really need to be open and honest and true to yourself. And not only that, then it reflects on those around you. Um, you know, so for me to do the best, I had to really, you know, own my truths and talk to people and say, this is where I'm at, this is what's going on. And, uh, you know, so it just kind of, in a way, ricocheted into what you're saying. Um, you know, so people are really becoming more and more empowered, shall we say. Um, I know there's a lot of people out there who don't like the word empowered either. And I totally agree with you 100% that we are all one. And, you know, I know we all have our unique challenges, our unique fights and everything else for, you know, recognition of our, 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 for example, the color of skin that we are in, our ethnic backgrounds, our religious beliefs, our cultural practices, all kinds of different things like that. But at the same time, um, I really think that we are all fighting for the same common goal, which is human rights and acceptance, to be honest. Well, God would not have made people in the wondrous variety that he made us in if he didn't anticipate, if he didn't want us to have wondrous diversity and to have a multitude of experiences and and stuff and i th i really think that that we need to embrace each other as being um a really cool um a, a really cool uh, fellow spirit if, if if you will i i i don't know but but so but i wanted to ask you because i i have to tell you a story i have a friend of mine who when he when he was when he was 30 he came over to our house and he said 
I don't know if you know this, but I'm gay. And we said, Michael, we've known that for 15 years. He said, you did? He said, well, yeah. So, so we had a conversation. And because, I, because at, at that time, there was a school of thought as far as a gay man was, was it learned behavior or was it something that was just there, that, that you know, that, that it was just his natural curiosities went into a certain direction? So uh, he told me a story. And he said, when I was 12, um, my mom, my dad, my dad bought Playboy, which is the, the with the centerfolds and then and naked women and stuff. And he said, and so in defense, my mom bought Playgirl because she, she bought a subscription to that because he bought Playboy. So she was going to look at naked men. And, and he said, and you know what? I gravitated towards Playgirl not playboy and he was like and i didn't you know i didn't make a conscious decision it was just that's where my that's where i went and so i use that as an example to tell people that it is the way god made him and that's that's the man he is he's a lovely man and he's he's got a lot of friends and he does great things and and so but that's that's the way god made him and so, so we need to now. Do you have a similar story of something like that? Um, I, oh, of course I do. Um, you know, I was going to say it's, it's so interesting that you talk about you know the adult magazines, for example. I mean, because I remember in my day, you know, in my youth, looking at these things, you know, these magazines that were over the counter, generally behind the counter, up on a higher up shelf, kind of thing like that. And, exactly. And then, and then there was a period there where they weren't there; they were actually out in amongst all the other magazines, but of course on the top tier shelf. And I and I always you know would go there and I'm just like, okay, I'm not I'm not interested in looking at the women. I'm I'm into the men. I like looking at the men. And of course, me going through what I was going through at the time, thinking like, well, does that make me a gay man or does that make me? But because I, I I don't feel like a gay man, and, and you know, and I'm not a gay man, and I'm I'm playing havoc with, you know, being in alignment with my you know transgender self as well as my transsexual physical self. Um, you know, and then, you know, so here I'd be buying these magazines with nude men in them and then, you know, trying to sneak them between other magazines. And of course, you get at the counter and then you've got this guy at the counter. He's like, hey, can I get a price check on? Uh, and you're like, ah, you know, what is, what did you just do? You know, he, this is stop, 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 stop. So, of course, you know, so those are my early days of that. But, you know, for me, it was easier for me to come out to my family as being a gay man to start off with. You know, and, and that was much more readily accepted. And I knew that wasn't the case because I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't male. I, I didn't present as male. I didn't act as male. I didn't dress as male. I didn't do all those other different things. And, you know, and I don't know why I had to go that route, but that was the route that I had to go. And then when I finally came out fully out of the closet as, uh, and I like, I use the terminology of a woman with a transsexual medical history, meaning that I've already gone through all my processes to get to be, you know, the physical self and person that I am today. Um, and I know that doesn't resonate with a lot of people out there, but unfortunately, that's just how it is for me. And I choose to respect the terminology that people choose to use to describe themselves or their histories, right? And, and again, there it is. It's like, you know, respect thy fellow man, love thy fellow man or woman. And that's how I feel about it. And, and all is in between. So when I did finally come out to my family as to this is the route that I was going, this is the direction I was going, and I, I, it was like a monkey was, you know, lifted off my back. It was, it was gone. And, and I felt free. And I felt for the first time in my life, like I felt like me. 
And of course, with that came a lot of ostracization from family members, from friends. I lost family members. I lost friends as well who were no longer in my life. And this is going back, well, well over 30 years ago. Um, and and I, I thought it was really interesting for me to sort of try to wrap my head around it. And I gave up trying to think about it because I can't realistically, and I don't think you know, we got to pick and choose our battles in terms of what we want to analyze and what we want to think about. Um, and for me, it was just like, I have to let these people go. You know, I have to, for me to be happy within my own life, I have to be true to myself and true to those who are in my life who, who want to be there. You know, and one of the things that I always throw around with people as well, it's like those that matter don't care. And those that care, they don't matter. And, and, and you know, and it really kind of, and it, you know, when, when people stop to think about that, it really does resonate with them for the most part, because I, I want to see a healthy, happy world out there where people are getting along and enjoying the company of others, no matter what, who, what you are, who you are, what you're doing kind of thing like that. I mean, my whole thing, of course, is not, you know, don't do unto others what you would have them do unto you if it's a negative situation. Right. But um, yeah. So doing, doing those things and it, it wasn't ever a, um, it was always a gravity for me, you know, moving in a direction, knowing that this is what I wanted, this is what I felt. It was really kind of a nagging kind of feeling situation that I really couldn't put my finger on. Um, and, you know, and, and for all intents and purposes, in, the, in, the, in my early days of transition, when, since we use that word, um, you know, you put under the microscope. Oh, yeah. Asking, oh, absolutely. And, and, and not only just by doctors, but by clinicians and psychologists and psychiatrists and counselors and everything else, as, as though you have some sort of, you know, you're, you're, you're mentally affected in a way. And, and it was really interesting to sort of, you know, go through all those analytical situations and listen to people the way they treated me. And here I was sitting there thinking, I just want to be happy. And I just want to move on with my life and be the person that I am. So why am I getting, why am I getting treated like this? You know, and it did, it took me a little while to find somebody who um, was on board with me because, you know, I, yes, like everybody else have a lot of suicidal thoughts. Um, you know, jobs, for example, were hard to hold or even get for that matter. Um, and at the time that I was doing all my thing, you know, I, I became very much a, a fetish object for a lot of individuals as well because well here's this anomaly this exotic creature coming through the door that uh you know a lot of people were seeing as, as this different kind of sex object sure. so you know and, and i didn't realize at the time because i was fairly young and, and and i would say rather naive but i was very focused on where i was moving but i didn't know there was recourse in terms of you know going after these individuals for the for the um you know the sexual assault or you know the sexual treatment that i was getting you know, I mean, I was I was denied jobs because of not being able to sleep or wanting to sleep with the boss or the manager or let go from jobs because I wouldn't sleep with the boss or the manager, things like that. Um, and, and, I, and I and I say without a word of a lie that I couldn't even get a job at McDonald's to save my life because in their exact words, and I applied at several locations, I intimidated the fellow employees. And I'm like, how? I, you know, I haven't even met these individuals. You know, and, uh, you know, well, and, and they could never give me an answer. So, I, you know, I like to equate it with because I'm a strong individual, I'm opinionated, um, I carry a certain presence, I look a certain way, but that has nothing in regards to impeding my ability to do the job. You know what I mean? So, well, yeah, and, they're, and by the way, they're not allowed to say <clears throat> it's, it's because of what you're going through that we're not going to hire you because that then you would have a legal recourse. 
So but, they were, they were, they were, um, I, yeah, uh, I don't, well, you know, uh, okay. You intimidate people. I'd say, you know, and, and by the way, I just, I just want to make a public statement here is that I admire people who have been true to themselves and done what they felt was right, regardless of the societal issues that they have to face. Um, I think that you and, uh, and other people that have faced this challenge are are really um you came you you came here and knew it was going to be a tough ride from the beginning and and you allowed and you still came here and you're being true to yourself i can't think of a higher something better than that um so i i thank you thank you i mean i've I've said to people as well like because they've asked me it's like if you had to do this all over again would you do it and without a word or a second thought i absolutely yes i would i would you know, I mean, that, 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 that for me is, is a given. I mean, of course, you know, accessibility to medical and healthcare these days is a lot easier than it was in the, in the earlier years for me, because, you know, you, there was a lot of gatekeeping going on and, you know, you were not allowed through certain things if you didn't meet their criteria, if that makes any sense. Um, oh, yes. You know, oh, yes. I, I, I like to equate it to the, the proverbial checklist. You know, so they had this checklist that you had to meet in terms of um, for approval to move forward with certain things. And I remember one of the counselors saying to me the one time, and I mean, and as you see me now, this is this is kind of this is how I dress. This is my appearance. And I mean, for the most part, I, I consider it to be edgy, strong, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but it, but it's always worked for me. And I, and I you know, I, I like this and it works for those who are in my life. They love it. But uh, and she said to me, you know, a couple of visits in, she's Oh, it's so nice to see that you've taken the edge off. And I, and I was like, what, 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 what do you mean by that? You know, can, can you elaborate on that? Oh, well, you're not so hard and extreme and, you know, you know, strong around the edges. And I thought, wow, wow. I, I didn't respond to it because I just thought, here's this female counselor talking to me in a manner that I thought was really sort of, you know, derogatory downplaying you know, the ability for, because all the women in my life are really strong individuals. I mean, you think that I'm, you know, I'm a strong individual. Oh my God, I could, I could put several women across your path who would be, ooh, you might be like, okay, girl, you just take it back a couple notches, right? But they're just as equally strong. So why, why does it have to be that a woman has to be, you know, soft and demure kind of thing like that is what I was thinking. I thought, wow, she really has it in her head how a person is supposed to be and how they're supposed to act and be within the society or the community that they're a part of. And I, and I just, I thought that was really interesting. And of course, it just so happens that that day I went in there, you know, I was a little bit late getting out the door. And so, you know, the finery wasn't all done to the level that I normally do. So I just thought, okay. <laughs> it, 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 it kills me that, uh, that uh, people make value judgments about people it's like it's like um one of the issues that we have in this country is women don't make and i'm sure it's the same way in canada women don't make the same amount of money as men and and so i had i had friends say well they just need to be strong they just need to go out there and they need to say and i said you don't understand the way it's the way it is is a strong woman is viewed as a bitch and a strong man is viewed as a dynamic a go-getter and a wonderful individual and women don't have the that it that that doesn't apply it's like she should be nicer she should be more demure she should uh she should get get what i give her and be happy with that because uh, she's just in quotes just a woman and I, I think that 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 is that is so wrong on so many levels 
you know, it, it, I, I love that you're saying that because it's so true. I just had this discussion the other day with a few friends too in regards to, you know, when it became very clear to me about that whole thing because for some strange reason, you know, when you when you go through, as, as they're calling it now, in my day it was called SRS, sexual reassignment surgery. Um, and now it's called sexual affirmation or sexual confirmation surgery. So one of the two terms. Um, and of course, you know, you, you come with your certificate of having gone through all this stuff. And I, I guess your certificate of completion, I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, for me, it's like, if I can't make lemonade out of the lemons life is throwing me that and make people laugh, it's like, what's the point? You know, that's how so I look you, at it. You've, you've, you've uh, made lemons or lemonade out of lemons and you've graduated. So now you can go have the surgery. Exactly. So, you know, so, so here I was doing this stuff and I came back from England where, cause that's where I went for, as I call the corrective procedures. And, um, and I had this certificate and, and the minute I was back, like for some reason, this piece of paper of acknowledgement seemed to have bear so much weight out there with regards to having gone through all this stuff that now I was officially in my, you know, in, in, in my belief and everything else, female woman. And suddenly the whole attitude came along with that. And it was, it was really weird. Like, you know, I wasn't getting certain types of jobs. I wasn't getting acknowledgement. Um, as, as you brought, as you talked about pay variance there. Oh my God, that it was the same deal that was happening. And, and I, I was, it was one of those head scratching moments where you just can't really put your finger to it as to why you just kind of like, okay. I mean, I, I, I know why I get it, but it, it was just, it really became that prevalent to me and very clear, you know, with this stupid certificate saying that this was going and the rest of the world just followed suit. And there I was part of the, you know, the discrimination club. Right. So I just thought, wow, this is really interesting. You know? Exactly. Now I do have to say, because we've, we've talked about the surgery just a little bit, but I, I just do have to say that uh, there are people out there that are going men that are going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, the, my penis is my best friend in the entire world. And, uh, and I can't imagine um, losing it or going through surgery and not, <laughs> not having it anymore because it's my plaything. I'm on a daily basis. You know what I mean? Uh, so, so do you ever get that question? And, and how do you respond to that? Um, I, I do get that question and how I, you know, but I get it in the context of there again, when people start to, you know, object, objectify me sexually, right? Um, you know, and I have people say, oh, oh, it's really unfortunate that you went through that and you did that because, you know, I didn't get an opportunity. I'm like, what? Like, did you think you were going to get an opportunity for anything like that? Because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't computing with me because, you know, the penis wasn't my friend. It wasn't going to be there for much longer. So there was no way that that was going to be happening or even part of the equation. You know, and, and that's pretty much how I answered it for, for the most part, you know, and, and the expectation that some of these individuals have that suddenly I'd be I'd be on that bandwagon of sexual fulfillment with these individuals thinking that there was going to happen. I was like, yeah, no, no. I mean, and that's not to say that when I didn't come back from England after having all this stuff that I wasn't riding a bike pretty damn fast, trying to check out what was going on around the block. You know, so I, I made up for lost time. I certainly did. <laughs> well, of course, of course, I would. You, you know, you would. You, you you know it's it's one of those things but you know I, I i met my first transsexual somebody who was going through the transition in 1978 and there there was a group of them and i was i was a waiter at denny's over in, at 
in graveyard and a group of 11 people came in and some were some were transsexual some were were um heterosexual and 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 stuff like that but i got to know them and the thing that i learned that i didn't know before first of all they considered me an abject square so there were certain things that they would not discuss when i was around because they thought that i wasn't capable of figuring you know learning but um but they were they were they were a great a great group of people who loved and cared for each other and uh, they just wanted to live their lives in peace the way they wanted to live them and not get hassled and stuff does that make sense it absolutely does because you know what there there's a lot of community and camaraderie and that sort of idea a lot of support you know a lot of mental support a lot of physical support all those different things like that for individuals because outside of that community a lot of people sometimes just don't get it if they don't take the time to educate themselves or learn about exactly what a person's going through or how their world is or or, or what it is that they're dealing with or enjoying you know um and you know I, I found for the most part a lot of the times that when i did go through what i was going through and to the level that i did um my close friends were were there with me they were there for the journey to you know walk side by side with me and to learn all about it um, and then at the same time too there was also within the community as well individuals who weren't necessarily going down the same road that i was going but yet they were still kind of part of it because termino terminology like i'm not not sure if you heard this but um in in my younger years pre-operative and post-operative were words that were used quite readily within the medical community to define us in terms of what level you were going through right so if you were pre-operative transsexual meaning before any sort of surgical correction and post-operative obviously after any surgical correction um so there was that group of people who weren't going down that road and then it was sort of like so here we were all together and then it was kind of splintered off you know so here we went off in direct different directions followed different roads um, to get to where we wanted to be, to be the people that we are and stuff like that. So of course, along the way, these individuals were no longer part of my world where they had been before. And, you know, and, and then, and here's, so going back to the whole idea of the uh, sort of the, the gender divide between money and how you earn things and stuff like that. So when I came back from England afterwards as well, one of the places that I used to go happened to be a men's, a gay men's bar. And, and not only did I feel safe and comfortable in there, but I had a lot of friends in there. And, you know, word gets out really fast. People talk when you're a public figure as to what's going on and what you're doing. So there I was going in the door of this place and I was stopped at the door and I was flatly told by one of the individuals who worked there that I had no place in this, this establishment anymore. And, and I thought, wow, that, that's, that's really interesting and that's really sad. Yeah sad and discriminatory at the same time and yeah. yet here i'm looking over his shoulders looking at cisgendered women sitting over at the bar enjoying themselves and i'm not sure was it are you saying this to me because you have issue with me you don't like me in some way shape or form or what was what was this all about so that really became very clear to me that here was another divergent that i was going on because this individual who you know i've been very close with and, and friends with by coming into the bar and saying hello all the time suddenly was no longer a friend no longer was part of my world anymore and I, th I thought that was really that exactly it was really sad it was really you know terrible and and, and i just and, that, and that's all just that's all just based upon his perception and the labels that that you were assigned because mm -hmm. of because of of what where you were in your life exactly you know so i and it and it's still 
you know, to this day, even still all these years afterwards, it still happens, you know, and I just sort of like try to, again, I call them head scratching moments because for the most part, you've got to really truly pick and choose your battles as to what you want to focus on. And I don't want to get bogged down in the negativity of, of, you know, trying to analyze folks and what makes them tick or think and stuff like that when it comes to that. So I just sort of move on and just sort of, and I ignore it, you know, I just, it is, I didn't make it crazy. If you, if you try to figure out everybody's motives and why they think the way they do, it'll make you nuts. Um, it, it absolutely does. So, you know, for me, I was very, um, I wasn't interested in trying to analyze anymore because I put a lot of thought into it before and I thought, wow, this isn't getting me anywhere. You know, so I'm just going to leave it alone. And I'm going to move on to my own little world and, and do the things that I want to do. And, and I found that by sort of, you know, doing that and, and, and putting it to the wayside, I was able to be more effective and more successful. Did you think that you were going to have a, a, a famous name and to be and to be who you are and to be well known the way that you are? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, I can honestly tell you. Okay, so slipping into the world of professional domination, and I do say slipping into it because it was very organic, my process to get into that whole world. I mean, I, I, my background is Danish. So running around in Copenhagen in, in the red light district was something we did as kids. You know, um, so, that, so we were readily exposed to it. So there was never any sort of adversity to it as far as that goes. Um, and I was very fascinated by that whole world of it because here were these men and women you know, and the, the androgynous in between. That's another androgyny, androgynous. People seem to have, you know, pushed to, to the back room and, and, you know, don't want to use anymore because for some reason they're finding it offensive. I've heard that quite a bit lately. Anyway, and I was always, you know, enthralled by these empowered individuals doing what they were doing with the red light in the window or walking on the streets in control of what they were doing. And, you know, yes, I went through all learning about all, I'm just got a little side trip here, learning about the whole world of, you know, talk about pimping and control and human trafficking and, and there's a lot of conflation going on that really shouldn't be happening but there again it's all these ngos who are you know follow the money so they can keep their paychecks coming but so velvet steel was the name that i thought well you know i can't really use my birth name as the name that i'm going to put out there to do what i'm going to try to do because why i got into the work was well number one i said i couldn't get a job and hold a job for to save my life realistically speaking um, you know, and, and the kind of jobs that were afforded to me were things that were in Uber fashion, you know, Depeche mode kind of thing like that, faster fashion. Uh, so hairdressing, makeup artistry, fetish fashion modeling, all those kinds of different things like that. So I did that. Um, and, and within that, you still, you still sort of stereotype within that. And, uh, and I thought, well, you know, I got to figure out a name here. I'm going to do this because to be learning about myself, because for me, having, if I can be so bold as to say this, I wasn't having sex because I wasn't computing with what I knew was inside my head as to the person that I was with my physical self. And it just, it was just so traumatic. It just played so much turmoil with me that I just couldn't deal with that. So I wanted to learn about what was making people tick and becoming a dominatrix, you know, fetishist seemed like a good fit. Right, that'll so, make uh, you. That'll then let you let you know how people tick. That's for sure. It, it it certainly did, and I became so fascinated by that. So I spent hours on end up at you know all the libraries that I could in Toronto, um, reading book and book and book and book on end about psychology within sexuality, um, human sex, fetishistic needs, and, and fishes, what made people tick, where they develop these different things. And my God, there's a lot of books out there by a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists, and they're really eye-opening experiences. And I really, you know, I, I really encourage people to read these. They're really amazing. Um, 
And so anyway, so I decided, well, you know, I, I, I was always in love with the fabric velvet. I always have, and I still do. Um, and I thought, well, you know, and, and someone said to me, oh, well, why don't you call yourself Danish steel? And I said, well, yeah, no, it sounds like a pastry and I'm not interested. In that. <laughs> <laughs> it <was like> that. <laughs> so that it didn't does. happen. So then I thought, hmm, how, how, how does velvet resonate with the steel part of it? And, uh, you know, sure enough, it worked. And I, so I placed my first ad. Um, and I'd be honest, I was so chicken shit that I didn't even open the door for this poor gentleman who was on the other side of the door. And I was like, uh, you know, you know, running, running scared to the other side of the room kind of deal. But um, and then when I finally did, you know, break through with it, I had people calling me up just to tell me that they loved my name. And, and, and you know, and I was like, oh, OK. So and then and early in my career, um, I had university students contact me as well, wanting to talk to me about the industry, wanting to talk to me and based on seeing my name. Right. So, you know, I personally, I really think that I, I, you know, hit on a formula that was working and it really truly worked. But to this level, I never expected it to be that level. So much so that politicians that I deal with, um, the law enforcement that I deal with, uh, all kinds of things, they, you know, they only prefer to call me velvet. That's it. And, you know, and without without them knowing, well, they do know, actually, you know, the, the birth given name and everything else as far as that goes, like, nah, no, you're velvet to me. And that's what I met you as. And that's how it always is and stuff like that. You know, we know, you know, we know your birth name, velvet, blah, blah, blah. So hence what I do, I ended up registering uh, Velvet Steel as a name that I could actually use through banking and legal purposes as well, because it just, it's stuck, you know, and, and I it's, them, it's, it's who you are. Yeah, it is. You know, I, I, I always say to people, it's like without... Without Jerry, um, you know, there would be no velvet and vice versa, kind of thing like that, right? And and people get it. And I, and I really truly believe that velvet is just an extension of me. You know, it, it's just another added layer of that onion. I don't like to use onion because you know onions are pretty sour to the taste, kind of thing. I'm a little bit more fruity than that. But anyway, <laughs> you get what I'm saying. <laughs> there isn't really, a, you know, maybe we could say like a, you know, a, 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 a sweet grapefruit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you you are, and you're tart, but you're strong. Thank you. <laughs> you know, well, and what I I really like about the work that you're doing is that you are an advocate for sex workers, mm-hmm. and and for people that are in in the trades, as it were, of, of of people that that are 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 doing that. How are you able to advocate for them? And what are you, what are you interested in, in seeing happen? Well, here in Canada, I'm interested in seeing decriminalization happen. I, I, I'm, I'm very interested in seeing the repeal of the Protection of Community and Exploited Persons Act, which has come into effect. It used to be Bill C-36, and that was implemented with our previous um, Conservative government. And, you know, we had just finished doing a legal fight in 2012, um, and that was Bedford versus government, basically, the Crown. And... Uh, and the Supreme Court of Canada saw fit to actually say that the, they were in agreement that the laws and legislation that were currently in place at that time needed to be repealed because they were an infringement on human rights of the individuals, right? Um, you know, and there's already laws in the books that, you know, protect children from exploitation. And, you know, and this is the thing, too, it's like a lot of these, you know, NGOs will throw out the word, you know, child sex work. Child sex work's not sex work. It's child exploitation, plain and simple. You know, exactly. uh, so we, uh, but they'll try to you know, associate the word of sex work to draw it in to continue to pay the negative. Um, so 
I started off by doing, you know, advocacy for individuals within the trans community, because for me to access the medical and healthcare that I needed to do, I had to fight the British Columbia government as well um, to allow for access to funding to go to the surgeon of my choice to become, to, to move on in my journey. Um, and that was, that was an eight month battle. And, uh, you know, so as a result of that, and, and when I talk about that as well, it was, it was also one of those things too, because a lot of trans folks are performing sex work. Mm. Because they cannot, you know, regular mainstream work does not happen because of a lot of societal differences and discrimination that goes on out there. So sex work seems like a good fit for a lot of people. They can make good money. Um, they can, you know, pay for that roof over their head, the clothes on their back, food on their table. They can access medical and dental health care, all kinds of different things through that whole aspect of it. And they can also fund their transition surgeries to move on in terms of their you know, changes to their appearance and things like that, because there are distinct, you know, I get into a lot of arguments with people, but there are very clear, distinct differences between the XY and the XX chromosome of individuals and how they develop. So to, to, to be more feminine, you know, they, you implement surgeries and things like that. So sex work for trans folks is something that is happening and it's, it's, it's a lot and it, it is out there. So, you know, to, so they just sort of organically, melded into one with regards to fighting for the rights of sex workers to be able to perform the work that they do because sex work is work it's not you know <laughs> people have this vision that you know it, it's all about just and i'm going to be bold and brash here and saying laying on your back spreading your legs and doing nothing um and it, it's it's not that there's there's so much more to it i mean you're learning physiology you're learning anatomy, you're learning human psyche, you're learning psychology, you're doing all these different things. Not only are you doing that, but you're also keeping yourself in tip-top physical shape for what, what it is that you're providing. You're um, learning how to advertise, you're learning photography, you're learning videography, you're learning audio, you're learning video editing, um, you're learning how to advertise, you're learning money management, you're learning all kinds of different things. And then on top of it, you're also probably putting yourself through school for things that you, you know, also want to do down the road because you know, people talk about exiting strategies when it comes to the whole issue of sex work. And for me, I've been trying to dispel that because I really don't believe it's an exiting strategy. It's a retirement strategy. Yeah, well, that, that, that makes sense. But but I'd like to remind people that if you're if you're just tuning in earlier, earlier in the conversation, I was talking with Velvet and we were saying that she couldn't get a job at McDonald's. And if you can't get a job at McDonald's, uh, and, uh, which is, it's, it, and it's not to disparage McDonald's, but it's not on the higher end of things or end of jobs. So if you can't get, if they can, if they won't hire you, I don't know that you have a whole hell of a lot of choice rather than to use your assets as best you can, whatever they may be. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, I mean, I think about it too, like, so I mean, there's a lot of people out there who are doing things, illicit activities to earn an income, you know, if you want to say it that way. So for me, it's like, I would rather, and you know, this is where I get into trouble as well with a lot of individuals out there. I would rather walk side by side with law enforcement to educate them on the different subcultures of people and humanity that are out there that are doing things to, you know, perform or support themselves in their living that they're living in. You know what I mean? Um, so let's let's dispel some myths here let's let's talk about what's going on there and this whole association number one as well with sex work and narcotics and drugs and that whole thing and gang and uh, all this other stuff those are things that need to stop because for the most part i don't know anybody who has been well controlled by a pimp 
um, you know, or had anything like that. And then, and now there's this whole thing about talking about, you know, madams as being also female pimps and things like that. And, and I mean, and I know people who, you know, who've had brothels, who've maintained brothels and they've been basically the person who has been paying the rent and doing the advertising and, and shielding and fielding clients for these individuals to come through the door. Um, so it, so it's, it's a very strong network, you know, and here in Canada as well, like we have things like third party involvement, which is also criminalized. Um, and that's just one of the aspects of this Protection of Communities Exploited Persons Act that's now involved, that anybody who, for example, could be acting as your security, your driver, your receptionist, your appointment booker, um, run the risk of being charged. And that's not to say that, you know, for example, the money that you're making, if, if you're going to the drugstore and you're spending that money at the drugstore on, say, a box of chocolates, for example, or even going to your doctor, the people who are taking your money are also running the risk. Of being really? charged fine. Oh yeah. Because it's taking the money off of individuals who have made that money through sex work. Oh brother. That 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 sounds like a conservative government thing. It it very much was and it still very much is. So currently right now what's going on is there's an assessment that's going on of the the laws as they were enacted when they were enacted. But that should have been done um, five years after the fact. So we're three years overdue for that. Um, but and so we're hoping that they're going to really take an active interest and do some active listening to us, to what it is that we're trying to say and what we're trying to bring forward in terms of repealing them. Because for the most part, sex workers are being shut out. They're being shunned. And, you know, they're in favor of listening to those who have no clue um, about what's going on out there. And individuals who are always saying, oh, well, honey, I've got your best interests at heart. You just sit pretty and look there and don't say a word kind of deal like that. And it's like, no, you have you have no clue. You know, they really don't have a clue. And and who is it that it's it's all the sex worker organizations that that we're a part of that are doing a lot of these studies and surveys and everything else. And then the information once it's been provided, a lot of these other anti-sex work organizations will take those statistics and they'll flip them for their own means and their own personal gains because you know they go to the government to you know apply for money. Um, and there's a lot of funding out there. There's a lot of negative funding out there that I say is when I say negative. It, going in the opposite direction. And really what it boils down to is keeping themselves in an occupation, feeding misinformation to the masses at large. There are, there are people in their organizations that, that in order to stay alive, they will go after the cheap buck. And sometimes that cheap buck is uh, an anti something, whatever it is. Um, and so they become, and the sad thing is, some of them that are doing that are ending up in the living room of a sex worker. Um, <laughs> they they say so much so are, you know, I mean, I, in my naivety when I was younger, not thinking it's like, oh my God, I never thought I would ever meet anybody that was a sex worker or anything like that. And of course, and here I am as one. Um, but, you know, it's like, and then I, I, when I talk to other people here in Vancouver, pretty much everybody that I know has exposure or has sex workers as their friends you know like like a sex worker is some kind of anomaly you know like there's some sort of creature that you know difference is like ooh, you're friends with a sex worker you know it is kind of like the same thing it's like <laughs> and i remember when when the aids crisis started to happen and really become very prevalent too it was the same sort of deal like oh my god you know somebody who's who's got aids you know somebody who's died of aids and now we're saying the same thing with COVID. Right. You know, so so it, 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 it for me, it just goes on in this whole 
nonsensical sort of fashion and manners. It's like, and realistically, what it boils down to is like, people are people, you know, and, and we should be affording them all the same rights, no matter what occupation you're doing, whatever it is you're choosing to do to be happy in this world, as far as I'm concerned. And I'll, I'll tell I'll, I'll tell you a, um, a quick story. Uh, this goes back to the um, early 80s. I had a, um, a gentleman who was the uh, assistant manager of the restaurant that I worked at. I was a waiter. And uh, his name was Peter. And I, I had the, remember I was telling you about my uh, friend Michael, who is, who's, who's gay. Well, he came to meet me one time. And um, we were, and, and he was going to pick me up. And, and uh, the, the manager, I introduced them both to each other. And the manager was married. Um, but, uh, Michael recognized him from a, um, um, a, a, a bath in, on Capitol Hill in, in Seattle. <laughs> and, and so they, they had, and they, they had to be very quiet and coy about it because Peter was married and he was in a corporate job and he was trying, and, and my friend Michael was much, much younger than him. He was like t- t- early twenties, but, but they couldn't live their lives out in the open. It was all by cloak and dagger and uh and uh and sneaking around and unfortunately uh peter did catch, catch age and passed away um and nobody knew nobody knew that he was gay in his in his in his family his wife uh and so so he died of pneumonia but he actually he he died of AIDS, of aids and it was it was really it was really it was really sad i i, I maybe that shaped my opinion but it's really sad that we have got people that are good outstanding people that have got heads on their shoulders are funny they, they can be contributing members of society yet we put them in a box because we're uncomfortable with what they do and, and i don't quite frankly velvet i think you're adorable and i don't care what you do in your bedroom thank you i mean and, and this is what i say to myself as well but i also say this to other people and you know and i love that you're talking about that because i used to throw fetish parties years ago and um and i don't know I, I have to question this sometimes because I don't know if some of the people coming to the door knew that it was me that was putting them on. And and I knew some of these people out, outside in the community at large. And there I would be deep within the, you know, in the, the lounge or the bar where we were throwing our parties. And suddenly I would see them walk by me. It's like, oh, look who's here. <laughs> and, you know, and then, then there would there would be this whole big, oh, my God, oh, my God. It's like, listen, I'm not here to judge. And I'm certainly not here to out you in any way, shape or form. Because, you know, my whole rule of thumb as the person that the hostess of this event is we leave your bias at the door. We have a safe, sane, consensual environment that's discretionary for you to come in and enjoy yourself in a dressing for, dressing for pleasure atmosphere. You know, and, and, and I've always been that way. And, and, I, and I thought, wow, the, the fact that people are still coming through the door, worried and so upset about these different things about being caught or being caught out. So I, I really worked hard to create a nurturing environment where people could come and feel safe, you know, and enjoy themselves. You know, that, that, that is such a big deal because in this day and age, you know, I'd like to think that we've grown up a little bit because when I was uh, in, in the early '80s, they didn't have anything like uh, Victoria's Secret or any any of the other other places that, and basically uh, uh, sex shops where people can learn about. I even had a. This is where we're going, and I like it a lot. Is I had a married couple that have got a podcast and they've uh, been doing it for ten years. They have a store. 
in, on their website for marital aids for married people. So we've come, and they're a Christian couple. So we've come really, a, I think, a long way in that people are people. And and if you're going to have a, a, a sexual relationship with somebody, have a good one. Why not? Well, exactly. I mean, and for me, like, you know, I, I talked to... See, my friends were very open and honest when it comes to sex and sexuality, and, and I wouldn't have it any other way because it just it makes for good, you know. And as a hairstylist as well, one of the things that they teach us is that you know there's four taboos that you don't talk about with your client sitting in your chair: money, religion, politics, and sex. Well, what the hell else is there to talk about? <laughs> like, come on, you know. So it's like if we can't be open and honest with each other, that's that's it. Because sex to me is just another form of communication. It, it really is. is, right? So, and it and if it's in you know a loving relationship, great. If it's not in a loving relationship and it's just a one-off, all the matter, all the power to you as well. I'm not there to judge. I, I just think we need to be more open and honest about different things in Detroit. And I run around sometimes saying that I would love to heal the world with sex. <laughs> I don't know how well that would go over with some people, but you know, it's just one of those things that I think could be really. It is. It is what it is. I did want to ask you though, uh, since you've been a dominatrix and you've, and you've worked in that environment, you've worked in that world. I've heard that there is that you have to be when you are working, when you are, have a, um, a desire to experiment in that world that you need to be very, very careful about the people that you work with and the people that you associate with. Is that true? Absolutely. Um, you know, and I say this very readily as well. There was a period of time there in the very beginning where I was, I had to sort of be careful and pick and choose exactly what my statements would be in terms of ownership of them. Um, but, you know, as, as I progressed throughout that time frame, I realized that I needed to be honest. And I need to be speaking my truth because there's a lot of predators within that whole fetish community that will use it to continue on their abusive behavior. Um, and, and, and that's really, that's really sad. So it's kind of like this, you know, these, this cosmetic front that these individuals will do and they will be in that community and, and they will continue on to do their behavior. I can give you some examples of when we had our fetish parties. We, there was a period there where we had um, an individual coming through there who, who, th who thought he was the thing. And, you know, and there was this weird behavior that he would be doing with some of these women that he'd be coming through the door with. And it wasn't playful BDSM or fetish. It was flat out abuse. And, you know, so, th so there was not just us observing this, but other people coming because like, you know, he's doing this. What do you, what do you think on that? Eventually he, he, he did get arrested. Um, because individuals that he's had experiences with, they decide to go to the police with him. We also had another individual who was coming to our parties as well, thinking that it was the perfect environment to him to drug women. Oh, lovely. So, yeah, so we discovered who that was. I mean, and, that, and that's not to say, like, you know, as I said before, we really worked hard to create a safe, loving, nurturing environment. So by looking for this individual that we found at the event who was doing these kinds of things, well, we ended up getting him kicked out and arrested as well. Uh, because, wow, you know, drugging people with rohypnol and thinking that you're going to go home with it and that you're not going to get caught and stuff like that, because it did become a very close-knit family of individuals who were there for the same common goal, to enjoy themselves and to right. provide an atmosphere that was just that, non-discriminatory, leave your bias at the door, loving, nurturing, and safe, you know? I mean, it didn't really bode well if people were running around doing that because what kind of environment were we pretty, it wasn't safe if people were being drugged, you know? 
Exactly. But, you know, Velvet, we've run out of time uh, together, and uh, I've got so many more questions to ask you about your work within the police and stuff like that. Will you come back, and can we do this again? Oh, absolutely. I would love to be back on, for sure. Then I can wear something different, too. (laughs) (laughs) And, and yeah, and we can talk more about, about what, because I think that the only way that we are going to become enlightened is to turn our light onto things that we may be a little uncomfortable with or not know anything about. And if we can, if we are willing to learn some of this, some of the differences between us, but also it will bring out the similarities that are all between us. I, I think so. And, you know, and, and, and the way I look into different things is like, is have an open mind. You know, not everything is, I mean, so, and this is what I say to people too. So along, this is my best example. Um, along the way of doing what I'm doing, I've learned a lot about, you know, adult, as I call them, therapeutical aids. It's the way of getting around it. But I, I was told that I couldn't use the word therapeutic because I wasn't a doctor. I thought, what? Are you kidding me? Anyway, um, so what worked good for me doesn't necessarily work good for somebody else. Right. Or what does work good for somebody else doesn't necessarily work for me. But within that, it's, it's, it's the ability to understand that, have the knowledge and the respect that different strokes for different folks. And it should be allowed. People should be able to do in, within limits and within, you know, as long as you're not hurting anybody else and you're doing, you should, you should be allowed to do with you, with your life, what you wish. Absolutely. And I mean, and, and that whole, you know, approach to me in terms of owning myself uh, and being honest and truthful has also afforded me the ability to talk like that to, for example, politicians, to talk to police, to law, to law enforcement. And I have to say without a word of a lie here, they're shocked and amazed that I actually am that forthcoming with my terminology and my choice of words for them. I'm like, well, well <laughs> I'm talking to you like I talk to my friends, so why wouldn't I talk to you the same way? I don't have anybody up on a higher pedestal than myself because I really, like you were saying, that we're all one, we're all the same. You know, just because you have, you know, have a different status in life or a different kind of occupation, doesn't mean you're any different than me. That's absolutely true. Uh, Velvet uh, Steel, if somebody wants to go to your website, where is it? How do they find it? At www.velvetsteel, spelt the same way as in my name, V-E-L-V-E-T-S-T-E-E-L-E.com. Um, and then I have a submission form there. And you can just send all your questions to me that way. Um, I'm on Twitter at Velvet Steel. I'm on Instagram at Velvet Steel. And I'm on Facebook at Velvet Steel, too. So there's lots of places. to find. And even on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a really interesting space to be. <laughs> <laughs> you're 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 getting famous that's pretty cool <laughs> thank you i'm out there <laughs> <laughs> you, well and i appreciate that you're putting yourself out there for folks thank it, you yeah I, it, like you know there was no going back into any closet for me and uh it just wasn't in the cards i just couldn't do it couldn't do it no right. and education is the key Education is the key. So, Velvet, thank you very much. I'm going to do this. I'm going to close out the show, and then we'll talk for it. So stay right where you are, and I'll be right back. And, Julie, you stay right where you are. Thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of KMmedia.pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named KMmedia.pro, for more details about us and our mission which is to provide great, positive programming designed to inspire us all. 
I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to each other because each other's all we've got. We'll see you next time. And thank you so much again, young lady. That, that was thank awesome. You. Thank and, you. And, that was really enjoyable. I really appreciated that. And, and lots of good stuff said that, yes. yeah. I, I think I think it went. I thought it went very well. So and your uh, questions are brilliant. I I love the fact that you've got this. You've got this. You've got this gift of giving the perfect question that sort of you know lets me embellish it and move on with it. Like uh, yeah, I've you know I've done a lot of speaking with some individuals lately, and I'm just like, okay, yeah. <laughs> I I have been told that, and I'm it's, it, if I have a gift, that would be it. Uh, so I appreciate it. And like I said, let me know if you want me back on again. I would certainly love to, you know, talk more about other different topics and subjects and things like that. I'm off to um, Montreal at the end of May for, um, uh, you know, a sex worker sort of quote unquote conference. Uh, so we can talk about actually what we're doing with regards to challenging the government on their legislation. Uh, I'm also going back to Montreal again at the end of July for the AIDS conference where we're going to be doing a presentation with regards to Vancouver's history from syphilis to AIDS. Um, and also talking about the rise of chemsex within the sex worker community and the, uh, the the bad choices people are making with regards to engaging in the type of work that they're doing because clients want to pay them more money to engage in activity that's 100% risky. So, very cool. Um, yeah, no, we need to talk need to talk about all of that. So, 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 uh, do you still have the inv Do I need to send you another link to Positive Talk to book yourself? No, I don't think so. No, I've got it here. But just okay. send it to me just in case anyway. Just but I I I've got it there already. Okay. Um, and then you can you can book it whenever you, you whenever you want to oh, send cool. it to you. Okay, yay. That sounds good. Alrighty. Awesome. All right, thank you, Kevin. And we'll talk thank to you. Thank you. Hey, have a good that red button that's right there and and uh and then I'm gonna bring in Julia. Where do where do I click? Where's the red button? Exit full screen. It says leave studio. Ah, there we go. Thank you all. Bye. Thank you. Have a good day. Hi, Kevin. Well, hello. How are you? Good. Good to see you. It's good to see you. Well, let's just begin, shall we? Sure. So hold on. Oops. The The following presentation is brought to you by KMmedia.pro. Please visit kmmedia.pro for more information. Now stay right where you are as we present. Welcome to Positive Talk Radio, evolving ideas, one conversation at a time. Great guests, dynamic stories and interviews, plus new thoughts on a wide range of topics and concepts. I hope that you'll hang with me, Kevin McDonald, my friends, and of course, you as together we work to understand why we are all here and what we can do to make our world a better place for all of us to be happy, be kind, and live in peace together. Yep, that's Positive Talk Radio. And welcome everybody to a third episode today of Positive Talk Radio. Um, Julia Sullivan is our is our guest today, and I, I got to tell you, Julia, you are part of the first day of 
of what we're going to be doing here from now on, which is three, two to, eh, I'm not quite sure yet, but two to four hours a day live Monday through Friday. Wow. That's a lot. It, well, it, it is, but you see, it affords me the opportunity to talk with people like you, who is a, as an author and you, the subject matter of the book we're going to talk about, which is coming out, I believe it's coming out in June, isn't it? Correct. June 3rd. And I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. I w- I'm thrilled to have you here because uh, it, it's, it's pretty cool. Let's, let's talk first of all about you. That's, that's not your first book, right? Um, this is my first novel. Um, I'm a lawyer and a English solicitor, and um, this novel has been sort of a passion project of mine for over 20 years. I've been working on it on and off, and I finally finished it. So, well, where are you? Where physically are you? Um, I live in Annapolis, Maryland, and Hamilton, Montana. My husband was born and raised in Montana, so oh, we spend a lot of time out there, which is that's the I, connection. Yeah became and it's how i became familiar with this story exactly because i was going to ask you because if you were from maryland that's i i asked somebody earlier today i said are you familiar with uh chief joseph and he lives here he was a producer of the show that i did this morning and he goes no are you familiar with inez pierce um no and he's lived for for a long time. So yeah. it is it is an educational story that I think needs to get out there. And I'm really glad you wrote the book. What's the title of the book again? The title of the book is Bone Necklace. And why did you choose that title? Well, it's the um, it's the name of a character in my book. And it's also uh, there is an actual bone necklace in the book, which is um uh, a necklace that was created from a bone that was pulled from a carrion pile. It was an effort to take something ugly and turn it into something beautiful, which is one of the themes of the book. So, Oh, very nice. Very nice. So when we talk about the story of Chief Joseph, I learned about that um, in, in uh, I think I was like in eighth grade. I, I, I went to a small school and we would... Uh, uh, each have, I like, we would have a split, a split grade. Like we had seventh and eighth grade kids. Mm-hmm. So when they were teaching the seventh grade kids, I would go over and get an encyclopedia. By the way, an encyclopedia is a book that they used to make <laughs> where they had a lots of facts and figures and, and stories of historical figures in, and the Britannica made a, a great edition and, and stuff. And there used to be people who would go around selling these books a door to door so that you could learn something in your house. Now you just go to something called Google um, to do the same thing. So if you want to Google uh, uh, um, Chief Joseph and the Nez Pierce Indians, that would be, that would be, you could, you could really catch up. But I learned that when, so I was in eighth grade in like 1960 something. And, um, and I learned of the story of Chief Joseph and um and the nez pierce and what they went through and and all of uh, and that that whole thing that happened in 1877 so i'm glad so when you found out about this what drove you what motivated you to to really research it and then to write the book well i i had never heard of the nez pierce or chief joseph until i was in my 30s Uh, it wasn't something that i ever learned in school 
Um, but when my husband and I were in Montana visiting family one fall, I went to visit the Big Hole Battlefield in Wisdom, Montana, which is about a two-hour drive from um, the little town where my husband grew up. And I went there by myself. Um, and I remember it was September, October, it was snowing and I um, borrowed some snowshoes and you can walk down to the battlefield. It's on the Big Hole River. Um, and you sort of walk down from the parking lot, down a steep hill. There's about a three quarter mile loop around the battlefield. And um, you know how snow just hushes everything. So it was one of those days I was all by myself and all you could hear was the river and the wind. And it's just this really stunningly beautiful place where something really horrific happened. And um, I just felt something in that place. Um, I just felt a real connection to that place. I can't really describe it, but it just owned me. The story has owned me ever since. Um, I was practicing law full time back then. And when I got back to DC, um, some, some place, maybe in the visitor center, I learned that Chief Joseph had published an article. Kind of reminds you this wasn't all that long ago, but he published an article in the North American Review two years after the war, sort of telling his side of it. And um, I went to the Library of Congress. This was, now it's available on Google, but back then that wasn't true. <laughs> I had to go to the Library of Congress to find it. And, um, uh, and it just sort of built from there. I read this article and then I started reading the handwritten notes taken during various treaty councils between the government and the Nez Perce over the years. And, Every general who was involved in the war eventually wrote a book about it. Um, so there are lots of firsthand accounts. And there was also this story is a little unusual in several respects, but um, there are a number of firsthand accounts from the Nez Perce side, which is a little unusual. History is usually written by um, the white man in this context, but there was a historian named Lou Collis McWhorter, and he had a very good friend named um, Chief Yellow Wolf, who was a fighter in the war. He escaped to Canada, eventually went back to live on a reservation with his uncle, Chief Joseph, voluntarily. But um, Mr. McWhorter interviewed uh, Yellow Wolf at length and wrote a book called um, Yellow Wolf's Story. And um, so you really were it, between Joseph's article, the Treaty Council notes, and Yellow Wolf's book. Um, you really were able to kind of get both sides, which was really unusual. Anyway, I just sort of fell deeper and deeper into the story. And writing has always been my way of kind of organizing my thoughts. Um, and I didn't originally start writing with the idea of writing a novel, but it became that over the over the years. So, so the novel is uh, the story of the, the, Chief Joseph and the Nez Pierce and what was going on with them is kind of the backdrop of of the the story that of of 
the main character. Is that right? Yeah, I wound up covering um, just four months in the book. It opens in May 1877 and it closes in October 1877. I guess it's five months. Um, and uh, I invented three characters, which I put into the war. Um, they're based on real characters, uh, but they're kind of composites of actual people who participated in the events. Um, so Joseph features in the book, Looking Glass, other famous figures feature in the book, but the narrators are these three invented characters and we, we see history unfolding through their eyes. And without, well, I, I, I would like to talk a little bit about what was happening around that time and and also the story itself, because is it is that appropriate or do we sure. keep because they can Google what actually happened. Sure. Um, you know, yeah. but I, I'll never forget the, 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 and I remember it to this day. I, as a matter of fact, I remember looking at the picture in the reader's digest because somebody did a painting of, uh, after the fact of chief Joseph, uh, standing there and, uh, his famous line, which was, and, and let me see if I, let me see if I can massacre it correctly. <laughs> From where the sun now stands, I will fight no more forever. Yes. That, you know, the, the, now that I understand, now that I know that there's a battlefield, what I need to do is to take a, a road trip to that battlefield on the way to the Little Bighorn. Are there, I mean, are there are there uh, monuments at, at that battlefield and, and to explain what happened that day? Yeah, so the um, the Nez Perce War is um, it was it's been called America's last Indian War by many historians, and it's the story of a small band of Native Americans who hold off four converging armies while their families escape to Canada, and it's a running retreat um, covers uh, almost twelve hundred miles, and that whole trail has now been designated a national park um, administered by that. yeah administered by the National Park Service and um, so there are markers all along the route and um, there are some uh, beautiful visitor centers um, in a couple of places uh, including the big hole there's a, a, a wonderful display there and um, at the battlefield where Joseph spoke that famous line that you just recited from where the sun now stands, I shall fight no more forever. That was the final battle. Um, it was a battle of the Bear Paws. It was in the foothills of the Bear Paw Mountains, about 30 miles south of the Canadian border. Um, and what happened there is that the army finally caught up with the Nez Perce after this um, four or five month retreat and captured the tribe's horse herd, uh, which made it impossible to move children, elders, injured people, sick people. Um, so those who were able-bodied could make it, could sneak through the siege line and cover the last 30 miles on foot. But there were many people who just, it was snowing, it was freezing cold. There were many people who just couldn't make that final dash on foot. And so they 
uh, divided into two groups. Um, Chief Joseph stayed behind with those who could no longer travel. And he sent his wife and his daughter with nearly 300 others uh, with Chief Whitebird, who led them to Canada. You know, and that's, that's the part of the story that's not really well known or told is that you, we get the part that the final battle is 30 miles away from, from the Canadian border because what they were trying to do was to hook up with another famous Indian chief whose name was Sitting Bull, who had escaped to Canada mm-hmm. while being chased after, uh, um, after the Little Bighorn. And if you don't, if you're not familiar with the Little Bighorn, that is where George Custer met his end at the Battle of the Little Bighorn, and uh, um, and stuff. So, so it was just thirty miles away, and it was, and it was perceived at that time as kind of a heartbreaking story. Oh, they didn't make it. Was it? Is that right. kind of how it was? That's right. It's um, well, Chief Joseph became quite famous. Um, he became known as the Red Napoleon, yes. a name which stuck, which surprised nobody so much as Joseph himself. He had never been known as a war chief among his people. He had always been a diplomat. He was an elegant, eloquent man who would have done anything to avoid the war that made him famous. But uh, he became known as a great warrior. And, um, and of course, his... Uh, his heartbreaking speech at the end, I shall fight no more forever, was exactly what the white audience wanted to hear. And so that's the piece of the story that really became famous. Very few people have ever heard of Chief Whitebird, um, who never I, gave up. I had not heard of him. Yeah. So, and I he, consider myself, I, I thought I knew the story. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, Whitebird... Um, did join up with Sitting Bull in Canada. Um, I did not know until I started researching this story that Canada was giving political asylum to American Indians at the time. Yep. Um, had given political asylum to Chief Sitting Bull and um, many Sioux. And uh, so White Bird and uh, almost 300 Nez Perce who escaped the final battle Uh, spent that first winter of 1877-1878 with uh, Chief Sitting Bull, who took care of them. They showed up um, in, uh, it was winter, they had nothing, they had no horses, they had no food, they had no supplies, they had no lodges, Uh, they were freezing, they were starving, they were exhausted, um, and Sitting Bull took care of them. Um, and then the following spring, some of them stayed with Sitting Bull, but mostly they sort of scattered after that. Um, some remained in Canada. Some came back to the U.S. voluntarily. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, I was just, um, that was actually the thing that I really liked about this story was that it challenged our assumption that um, that the Native Americans uh were outnumbered, were outgunned, were um, doomed to to submission. Um, Whitebird never accepted that. Um, he never gave up. He never surrendered. 
And, and the interesting thing about did you know? And well, you've written the book, so I'm sure you do. That 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 running sequence, that four month running battle, basically, because the they the Nez Pierce were trying to make it to Canada, and the army was determined to stop them for mostly political reasons, I would imagine, because it would look bad in the papers if they if they escaped and stuff, and so. Uh, but but the, that that the technician or the tactician that uh, Chief Joseph and the other chiefs of of his group were that that battle was studied militarily for years because of of the techniques that they used during that 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 running battle that, that protected them. And remember, if if you don't know about this, he was. They they were taking women, children, old men, the entire village and the entire population of their of the Nez Pierce, trying to get to Canada because they didn't want to get in go onto the reservation, and they were being chased by the United States cavalry. So and they still made it. What was it? Twelve hundred miles. Yeah, yeah. It depends on different. You know, it seems like it would be a clear number, but they're different accounts give different numbers depending on whether whether you start in Oregon or Idaho but so are you just is the most conservative number yeah so but there is an actual um a trail that you can follow that follows their their path yes if you google Nez Perce National Historic Trail um it's all mapped out where they went and there are um yeah we traveled the whole trail of course parts of it i've been too many times in researching this book but um yeah you're you're quite right that um the battles from the nez Perce war were taught at the u.s army war college uh for many years that um uh the nez Perce were um remarkable fighters um but uh you know they were outgunned they were outnumbered they were they were really they just outfought their opponent but they also displayed remarkable humanity not in every instance i'm not saying that there weren't um abominable acts on both sides to be sure there were um but the nez purse um showed uh compassion to wounded soldiers who fell into their hands for example, at the Battle of Bear Paw, the government tried to run um, to enter the Nez Perce camp three times. They were rebuffed three times. Um, and in those various attempts, they left behind a number of wounded soldiers. The Nez Perce went out at night, took their weapons, brought them blankets and water um, until their own people could come take them. Uh, back into their own camp. They did not kill wounded soldiers. Once they were unable to fight, they were not considered soldiers anymore. Um, the the um, Indians who fell into uh, the government's hands were not treated the same way. They also um, had uh, some civilian captives. They ran into civilians in Yellowstone Park. They took um, prisoners of these civilians um uh but they uh for the most part if the civilians didn't try to fight um they were released eventually um with 
a horse and food um, so that they could get back to their own people. So anyway, there, there are many, many examples of this, but um, over the course of the war, uh, the conduct of the Nez Perce really changed the narrative um, and public opinion swung from being um, uh, close to uh, advocating genocide to actually being quite sympathetic with the Nez Perce. So just to give you an example, when the Nez Perce were captured at the Bear Paw Battlefield, um, they rode on horses to Bismarck and then they were put on trains down to Leavenworth, Kansas. Um, but when they got into Bismarck, um, the ladies auxiliary held a luncheon in their honor. Uh, just to give you an example, um, they had soldiers who were standing between the um, 400 plus prisoners and the townspeople and the townspeople broke through the barrier in order to um, deliver gifts to the prisoners. Um, so, uh, I mean, if you can imagine at that time and that place for a Native American um, band during a war to have impressed upon the American public, uh, not only their fighting skill, but their humanity and um, and the justice of their underlying cause was was really remarkable, really remarkable. Well, it 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 became such a big story that the newspapers in the East, I'm told, uh, or that I read, were following it like uh, like a, a good sporting match. Yeah, uh, they they had updates all the time as to well this happened and then they had this battle and then they're here and then and so people started it was like a serial, you know, yeah. a, a, a series that people were starting to follow, and then they pick sides and were rooting for whichever side they went and, and a lot of them picked the Indians because they, they had women and children and they mm -hmm. were they were just trying to to not have to go to a reservation and to live free which they'd always lived. And they were just trying to get to Canada. And, yeah. uh, and so it was, it became a, a really big story, which I'm glad it did because that's why you and I are sitting here talking about it. Yeah. If, um, now when I started writing this book, um, I spent, I spent months going through microfish collecting newspaper articles. Now you can go on newspapers.com <laughs> and put, <laughs> put in this purse and do it. It took me months to do it you know, an afternoon, but, um, yeah, the newspaper coverage was, was really remarkable. And as I said, it was extremely hostile, um, and, and overtly racist at the beginning of the war. And then, um, as they, uh, continued to outfight and outrun the U S army and frankly, to humiliate the army in battle, um, they really won the respect of the American people. And, um, and then, you know, when stories trickled out about them not harming captured soldiers, and in fact, one captured soldier, they, they put him in a rifle pit so that he wouldn't be harmed by American bullets. Um, you know, they... Uh, they, they just they engaged in conduct that was so incongruous with the stereotype that it really forced people to rethink 
their assumptions about Native American culture. Well, and you and you and you got to remember the context at the time was it was less than a year after the Battle of the Little Bighorn, which That's happened right. in seventy six, June fifteenth, twenty fifth, and twenty sixth, and so it was less than a years from that, and and that became that became a big a big deal as far as you know Custer was killed and two hundred and ten or whatever the number was of his of his people and and stuff. So so there was the backdrop of Indians are bad, Indians kill soldiers, and 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 that that narrative changed over time. And and I know you capture it in the book. It's it really is uh a great it's a great story. It's a it's a great human interest story. Yeah and it um you know, I think there's so much of it um, that's still relevant. Um, I agree. It's, yeah, it's, as you mentioned, it's a David and Goliath fight um, where the under, the, 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 the expected outcome isn't realized, um, where the outgunned, outnumbered side prevails. It was a classic land grab, not that different from what we see in Ukraine right now, where the aggressor made up lies about the existing documents to justify warfare, um, created a humanitarian crisis. You had refugees in Canada stumbling across the border in the winter with nothing but the clothes on their back. Um, you know, it's kind of a universal story, um, but it's also it's the very American story. It's our story. It it really is. It really is. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Julia. I know you're a lawyer, and uh, and, and this is your first novel. But have you written uh, articles and have you written any books before? I'm, I was looking. I can't. I can't find. Oh, I have many publications with titles like, you know, the intersection of FERC regulation. <laughs> I'm sorry, say that again. And transmission planning and, you know, things like that. I, I have many technical articles. This was, um, this was my first attempt at fiction. And actually, when I started, I told you that I use writing as a way to kind of organize my thoughts. I've always been like that. You know, I keep journals and um, and I just really started taking notes um, to organize my thoughts. And I, I published a law review article of, about the treaties between the government and the Nez Perce and the violation of those treaties back in like, like 2004, something like that. Uh, but I was really dissatisfied with that format. I just felt like it didn't tell the story the way I wanted to tell the story. It didn't capture the the heroism. It didn't capture the emotion. It didn't um, it didn't force us to rethink our assumptions about Nez Perce culture um, and Native American culture. So I got this idea to write a novel, and um, I took a one year leave of absence, and I figured I could. I could bang out a novel in a year, right? <laughs> wow, well, one year? Yeah, it actually. didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen. So um, after a year, I convinced myself that I couldn't do it in a year. I probably couldn't do it in two or three. I was really flailing. But 
Um, I've always been fairly goal oriented and it really always remained a goal of mine to finish. And I took writing classes and I hired instructors and editors and I just kept rewriting it and rewriting it. And um, anyway, it took me a long time, but I really wanted to finish it and I finally did. And I'm, I'm thrilled. So I, I hope people enjoy the book. So how long did it take you? So um, from when I started until when I finished was 22 years. Holy mackerel. That is, well, you, you could have taken a leave of absence for 22 years. That would have been fun. Yeah, I couldn't do that. I couldn't <laughs> do that. But um, I wouldn't, I'm not saying it was 22 years solid. Like I said, I worked on it pretty hard for a year. And I did most of the research within that year. And, um, but I really got stuck on the writing. I have to concede that. Um, and I would put it away and then I pull it back out. And when I pull it back out, I start with a blank piece of paper. I mean, I completely start over. Um, and I started over again in 2016. And wow. that time I finally finished it. Well, I, you know, and, and it's, it's now coming out. It'll be out in June. Um, and, uh, have you gotten, has, has it gotten any reviews that you can speak of speak about? Yeah, it's actually gotten some really nice, some really nice reviews, which I have quoted on my website, www.juliasullivanauthor.com. But yeah, I'm really, I'm really encouraged. It's gotten some really nice reviews from professional reviewers. And I have sent copies to a few readers who've also posted some really nice reviews on Goodreads. You can't post a review on Amazon because um, it hasn't been released yet. But um, but there are some reviews on Goodreads, which have been really nice. Yeah. So. I hope that it does extremely well and uh, because it's a, it's a great story and it's a human interest story. It's also um, a, a great uh, uh, historical novel, basically. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I hope, I hope, um, I hope it makes people think about uh, the assumptions we make to justify war um, and sometimes question question those assumptions we're yeah, so you know. we're so willing to believe the worst of e of each other and um and and I, I hope it'll just make people stop and think about that i was um over the weekend i was watching youtube and and the news and and stuff and it's it's like it, it after a while he was like, I, I really need to go take a shower because this is really, this is really not very, not very positive. It's all very negative and, and everybody's at each other's throats and, and the Congress is at each other's throats. And then you've got the war and so many people are being, and they have been killed and, and maimed and that kind of thing. It's, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a terrible thing. It, 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 we were going through some really tough times. So, and that's, that's why stories like this and, and talking to you is a, is a, is a real positive thing. And I'm glad that we have the opportunity to uh, do that with you. Well, that was, um, like I mentioned, one of the themes of the book was to take kind of an ugly episode and find some nuggets of wisdom and beauty. And um, I think uh, Joseph's self-sacrifice, um, White Bird's uh, refusal to submit 
um, the way the American public opinion started to turn, um, the uh, um, I think there there are some beautiful things in this story, um, and uh, in 2020, um, I felt like the story came full circle in 2020. There's a little town in uh, Oregon called Joseph, Oregon. It's where Chief Joseph was born and raised and his family lived there for like 10,000 years, a beautiful little lake called Wallawa Lake in the Wallawa Mountains. And uh, Joseph was never allowed to go there again after he was, after he surrendered at the Bear Paw Battlefield, he was never allowed to go to Joseph, Oregon again. Um, but they kept his name. They still called it Joseph, Oregon. Their newspaper is still called the Chieftain. It's named after Joseph, but um it wasn't until 2020 the tribe managed to buy about 120 acres in Joseph, Oregon. And uh, they marched down Main Street on their colorful horses and uh, took possession of that little piece of property that used to belong to Chief Joseph. And, um, and I just felt like, um, it felt like closure. It was the it was the ending of the old story, and it was the beginning of a new story. Um, and uh, you know, I it um, uh, Joseph's story was amazing because you know an unexpected leader rose, um, sort of like Zelensky and many other modern examples where you know a crisis causes an unexpected hero to emerge. Um, uh, but, um, but, but this, you know, it, it's really not just one man. It was an entire people and an entire culture that survived, um, that never gave up, that was scattered and that came back together on that little 120 acre parcel. And they gathered from Canada and from, Idaho and from Washington State and from Kansas and from all the different places where they had dispersed because of government force. Um, and, you know, it was just, um, it was just kind of a period at the end of the sentence. It just, uh, I just thought it was a beautiful moment and it, and it happened to be the year that I finally finished this book and maybe it's what helped me stop revising the book. I just felt like, okay. <laughs> You okay, got it right. It's done. It's done. Yeah. Yeah, got it right. And and uh, it took it took 130 years, but at least at least no, that that's just the wrong. 140 shimmy Christmas. Yeah, 145 years yeah. or so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's but but now where is Chief Joseph buried? Do you know? He is buried in Washington at the Colville Reservation. So after the war, um all of the Nez Perce were sent to a malarial swamp in Leavenworth, Kansas. Every child born there died. 100% child mortality rate. Um, all the Nez Perce were dying there. Um, Joseph, who had become quite famous during the war, uh, used that fame to lobby for better conditions. Um, he was invited to Washington, D.C. to meet three different presidents. Um, he eventually persuaded the government to return the Nez Perce to the Northwest. 
Um, and uh, those who agreed to become Christians were sent to a reservation in Idaho, where a number of other Nespers already lived. And those who would not agree to become Christians, who wanted to maintain their, um, their own faith, uh, were sent to Washington. And um, Joseph went to Washington, and that's where he's buried, is in Washington. How long did he live after the, uh, the, that summer of 77? Quite a while. I, he died in either 1904 or 1905. I think he died in 1904. Uh, um, he met President Roosevelt in 1903. I think he died a year or two after that. That would be Theodore Roosevelt. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And uh, yeah, that, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago. There was um there was a Nez Perce, I can't remember his name, who was who was captured at the Bear Paw Battlefield. And um he was still alive when um when a man walked on the moon. Oh wow. So it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. When you think about it. No, no, that would be because uh, he was close to a hundred, probably in '69. I would think. Well, he was, he was, you know, a, a very young child, like one in 1877. Yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, so. That's that's really is cool. So, yeah. so I want to thank you for that. Do you have another novel in you, or are you not going to wait 22 years? Well, I I have another idea, and I'm really hoping I can be more efficient this time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I have another 22 productive years left in me, but yeah, I loved I loved the process. It's the most probably the most fun professional activity I've ever done. I just really I enjoyed the I enjoyed the history, but I also enjoyed learning something a, a whole new way of communicating. Um, oh yeah. So, uh, and I, I feel like, um, I feel like I could do it a little more efficiently the next time. So let's hope for that. What do, what kind of law do you practice? Um, I'm an arbitrator. I'm a commercial arbitrator. So. Oh, um, so you, so you work with two sides that can't make that they they can't get along and can't decide what they're going to do. That would you know that would be a fascinating job. Yeah, yeah, it it is. It's um. Uh, usually there's a kernel of truth on both sides, right? And there's so a little bit of ego on both sides to go with that. And exactly. And so it's um, a little creativity. They could generate some options that would work for everybody. But when their emotions get in the way, you know, you just have to pick a winner and a loser, call the balls and strikes. And, um, That's that's it. And, and I hope that everybody, you know, you seem like a very nice person and I hope everybody recognizes that you're all you're trying to do is to make it equitable and even for everybody. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that, Kevin. You know, Cause it, well, some people are just, you know, well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but you know exactly what I'm saying. I, I do. I mean, litigation is, um, it's it's usually the worst option for everybody, but sometimes, sometimes it's the only. Like I said, option. it's just emotion gets in the way of a better of a better process. In in indeed, and if if we could get everybody to get along, wouldn't that wouldn't we live in a nice world if we could get that done? It would be amazing if we could just um, try to walk in each other's shoes. You know, one of the 
um, one of the reasons I love historical fiction, um, both writing it and reading it, is I um, I don't think there's any better way to learn empathy uh, than to really imagine yourself deeply inside, um, not just walking in the shoes, but inside the mind of someone who's different from you, who comes from a different place, who has, you know, different goals, different background, different history, you know, different, uh, different prejudices, um, different fears, and to just try to walk in their shoes and try to see the situation from their point of view. And it's amazing how often at the end of that kind of exercise, you say to yourself, if I'd been walking in that person's shoes, I would have done exactly what they did. And, and it, it sort of helps you um, recognize that maybe common ground isn't unachievable. You know, we just have to recognize that um, we may be right, but the other side may also be right. Um, yes, and yes, yes, indeed. It's just a matter, of, you know, and it was interesting because you, you'd appreciate this, Julia. By the way, we're talking with Julia Sullivan. She's written the book. I'm sorry, the name of the book again, I should have written it down. Bone Necklace. Bone necklace. Look for it, and it's going to come out in early June. I'm going to get it because it's. I, I love historical fiction anyway, but uh, the Chief Joseph and Nez Pierce Indians they, they did one of the in the tw even in the 20th century they, that is regarded as one of the best military campaigns ever fought on this continent. And so it's, it's it really is cool, and you should and you should get it. But but and and but you know, last hour just as just to highlight what you just said, I interviewed a gal by the name of Velvet Steel. She's a transsexual, and and she started off with some as somebody else, and uh, and it's interesting to learn her experiences of what life, how life presents itself for somebody who is in in that world. Sure. You know, being being a lawyer or being a talk show host or something else, it really is interesting. The wide variety of experiences we all get to have if we choose to. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So often, someone will say, "I don't understand that. I don't understand why somebody would do that." And and my reaction is, um, well, either try to understand it. Or um, maybe you shouldn't express opinions about it. <laughs> well, I mean, figure it out. If you don't understand it, then then um, try. Just try. Right. It, you know, you don't. You, you're not going to get it right. We're not going to get it right. Empathy doesn't work that way. People are too complicated. You're not going to get it right every time. But um, but you can try. You can get part way there, and um, I think we owe it to each other to try. Yeah, we even we even talked a little bit about that because um, she's she's had she's been through the entire thing and she's done the surgeries and all that stuff. And I said, you know, there's a segment of our population 
whose uh, penis is their best friend, and they can't imagine living life without it. And uh, you did that. And, and so there's going to be a, a segment of people that she's not going to be able to affect in a positive way because they'll go, oh, man, I could never do that. How could somebody do You know what I mean? So Yeah, uh, and that's okay. So don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't affect you a bit. It did, you know, I could I could talk to her and she was a lovely lady. Yeah. And uh, it was it was really a lot of fun. Just like you are a lovely lady and I really have enjoyed our, our time together. When uh the book comes out, which comes out in June, early June, mm-hmm. uh, when it comes out, uh we need to uh, uh touch bases with you like in July or August and see how it's doing. Oh, and oh, and then uh, re reintroduce it to the audience. Uh, that we will have at that time because the audience that we have is going to be growing. We're going to do this five days a week, um, two hours a day at least. Today's three and a half hours, um, and I just enjoy I just enjoy talking to you. It, it, this is this has been fun. I really have enjoyed having you here. So, before we go, if there's anything that you would like to tell our audience, uh, anything at all about anything, and just get on your soapbox and and you, the floor is yours. Well, um, I hope you'll visit my website, www.juliasullivanauthor.com. There's a lot of information about the book, about the history. There's some historic photographs um, and where to buy the book. So um, I hope people enjoy it. And I think that they will, If uh, I, and I know that they will. So, so again, um, um, Julia Sullivan has been our guest. And the website, again, let's put that out there one more time. It's www.juliasullivanauthor.com. Perfect. And uh, and I look forward to talking to you again in, in the summer sometime. Thanks so much. And good luck with your show. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm having a great time, If quite frankly. <laughs> I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. Just because <laughs> I'm that way. Um, but if... if, if Quite frankly, if nobody listens right now, I know people are listening to the podcast. I know people listen to it later on. If nobody listens to it live, I don't care because I still get to talk to you. Well, I feel the same. So it's 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 just it's it's great fun for me, and I just enjoy it tremendously. So, and thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. So if if you'll hang out right there for just a second, I got to do this, and then I'll be right the bag. Okay. Thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of kmmedia.pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named kmmedia.pro for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to each other because each other's all we've got. We'll see you next time. And thank you so much. That was fun. Thank you, Kevin. It was. I enjoyed it. Now, we're still live, so so I'll, I'll bid you adieu, and then, then, then you can... Uh, and then I've got another guest coming on in about 10 minutes, but I'm oh, going wow. to take... A little bit of a break. So. <laughs> okay. So, hey, thank you, Julia. Thank you, Kevin.
Oh, that's that. Okay. Unbelievable. Carl Deluya, Creator versus God. In one survey, they asked 90 or so Christian theologians if the God of the Old Testament
Hi, Kevin. I cannot hear you. Can you hear me now? Oh, now I can hear you. How are you keeping? How are you? Yes, very nice to see you again. Very nice to see you. Um, I got your message and I've got it lined up. And so we'll go ahead and, and start the show. And then we'll play that. And then three questions and then we're out. Okay. Brilliant. All righty then. So hold on to where you are right now. The following presentation is brought to you by KMmedia.pro. Please visit KMmedia.pro for more information. Now stay right where you are as we present. Welcome to Positive Talk Radio, evolving ideas, one conversation at a time. Great guests, dynamic stories and interviews, plus new thoughts on a wide range of topics and concepts. I hope that you'll hang with me, Kevin McDonald, my friends, and of course, you, as together we work to understand why we are all here and what we can do to make our world a better place for all of us to be happy, be kind, and live in peace together. Yep, that's Positive Talk Radio. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of Positive Talk Radio. This is a shortened version. We're just going to do, uh, we've got a video I want to play for you, and then we're going to talk to the author of that video, Carl Delu, and we're going to do that right now. First of all, Carl, how are you today, sir? Very well. Thank you, uh, Kevin, for having me in discussing this most important topic of creator versus God. Uh, that's that's correct, and that's the name of the uh, of the film that we're going to play. So, shall we just get into that and do that right now, sir? Yes, please. Carl Deluia, Creator versus God. In one survey, they asked ninety or so Christian theologians if the God of the Old Testament Bible is the same as the God of the Quran of the Muslim faith? The majority answer was no. The Christian theologians are partly right. Let's start first with what creation is and then turn to what is God. So what is creation? Creation is the evolution story as set out in Genesis in the Old Testament Bible. First, you had the Big Bang. This is where spiritual fluffy matter from a previous great time spewed into our universe. This was followed over millions of years with the mineral kingdom. Next followed the plant kingdom. Then it was the turn of the animal kingdom. In our solar system, we did not evolve from an ape to man 
and women. This did occur in other solar systems, but not in ours. And this is the reason why the missing link between ape and man will never be found, plus the reason why science is now discovering that our DNA is not from Earth. So where does the Adam and Eve story come from? I'll explain this later on and also where we come from. So let's turn to how creation works. I'm sure you heard about string theory, that is the God particle found in CERN. However, it should be called the creator particle. The string theory proved 100% that we and all of the universe are made up of vibrating strings on different frequencies. To demonstrate how small a vibrating string is, if you compare a string in a human atom to the size of that atom, then in scale it's like comparing a tree to the size of our solar system. So a vibrating string is minute and will never be able to be seen. So we and all of the universe are made in the Creator's image of vibrating strings. If you believe in evolution, as science proved, then there can only be one creator for all of humanity. So why are we fighting? The five main religions are made up of Hindus, Buddhists, Jews, Christians and Muslims, and make up 80% of humanity. Is it not time for the five main religions to relax so we can start world peace? So how do all of these vibrating strings that we are made of talk to each other? We know that computers use zeros and ones. Creation communicates by vibrating strings and as Angel Margaret explains as example for us to understand, we, as humans, are the computers and the angels are the servers. The creator is the mainframe computer. So us as humans being the computers combined with the angels being the servers make up creation. And creation is the mainframe computer. So when you pray to the creator or if you meditate and the Creator's light speaks to you, then you are in reality speaking to the super mainframe computer that is all of the universe combined. So what is God? The gods in the Old Testament Bible are the ruler of the Pleiadians and people just like us but one million years more advanced spiritually, mentally, physically, and technologically. The Pedeans are our sea parents that came to Earth millions of years ago and ruler of the Pedean solar system and Earth. So gods are people like us and also part of creation 
and our sea parents that are looking out for us and protect us. Hippodanes are slightly bigger than us but look just like us. Returning to what we discussed before, Endocreon says that on our planet Earth we did not evolve from ape to human. This is why scientists are discovering our DNA is not from Earth, unlike the DNA of the mineral, plant and animal kingdoms on Earth. So how is this possible? The answer is that the Bidaeans came to Earth from their solar system via what I call fancy helicopters. Look what we have created in the last 150 years or so since industrialization. Do you think in one million years from now we will have fast moving fancy helicopters that can surf the hyperspace at incredible speeds? I do. So the Bidaeans came to Earth via fancy helicopters that we call UFOs. Did you know that two US presidents, Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan, have seen UFOs? That UFOs are described about 30 times in the Bible as pillars and chariots of fire? That the US Pentagon twice in the last 15 years said that US Navy fighter pilots have seen UFOs and released the footage? Watch the Netflix series Ancient Aliens and you will see them showing that civilizations from all over the Earth depicted man and woman in fancy astronaut-like costumes. So we need to stop thinking the UFOs are green men. They are not, and this is a lie. The Padaeans stopped coming to Earth 8,000 years before Christ, as we need to earn our own way. This is one of the secrets of the Old Testament Bible. The Padaeans only make appearances to give us hope and are responsible for crop circles in places like Glastonbury in the UK. Now returning to the Adam and Eve story mentioned before. The Adam and Eve story comes from a rogue Padaean that 13,000 years before Christ experimented with mating people on Earth to create different creatures, just like we are starting to clone and genetically modify things. Therefore, the Adam and Eve story is not linked to creation, but man and woman sinning not long ago. So a quick question, do you think the star of Bethlehem that followed Jesus' birth was one, a UFO, or two, a star coming to Earth from another solar system? So who are the gods of the Old Testament Bible? Approximately 16,000 years before Christ, the ruler of Earth and the Padaeans was Ischwich. 9,000 years before Christ, it was Jehovah. Currently the ruler of the Padaeans and Earth is El, or also called Eluhim. So the gods of the Old Testament Bible are like us and in charge of Earth, but also born like us and part of creation and they want us to succeed, just like most parents do.
And that was a video by Carl Delu, and uh, that that was a um, representative of all the things that you've been studying for a great deal of time. How long have you been studying this work? Um, <clears throat> well, I wrote three books. The Dyslexia Code took me six months of research. The Housespring Code book, another six months. But the Universe Code book, which is part of, I've got four uh, topics. This is one, the most important. And I went on a seven-year quest for the truth. And I used 50 affirmations every day to ask the creator of the universe to send me the information, correct information via synchronicity. And you've been, and so you've spent a great deal of time in, in really in communication with the divine and with the creator. And uh, this is this was the research that that you have discovered and and reached. How, is, it, is it reaching a lot of people? Um, slowly but surely, I've sort of just launched uh, my YouTube channel recently in the last, uh, properly in the last two two months. Um, I'm going to start my own podcast, and um, I've got two other people who are going to interview me as well. So um, and you, hopefully you'll have me on other topics as well. So it's getting the information out there in uh, into the world via the the butterfly the butterfly effect. Just on what you said before, yes, um, I in my seven years I ended up with a, what I call a workbook of about uh, five hundred um, half a million sorry half a million words, and then from there I got rid of about two-thirds of my book. It took me six months flat out working 80 hours a day to get to a third of that for my for my book, The Universe Code. And from that, about two-thirds of the information that made sense was from the spirit world. But in the interim, I got taught by a lady called Sarah Talavaltis from the College of Psychic Studies in London how to communicate with the spirit world and via automatic writing. So I can communicate with the creator via automatic writing. So that is partly part of my work as well. We just have a few moments left, and I just wanted to give you an opportunity to tell our audience everything about where they can find, you know, they found this video here, but where can they find more of your work? So uh, the web address is lightsurfers.me, so L-I-G-H-T, Light surfers, S U R F E R S dot M E. Or if you go on YouTube, just put in light surfers and, and perhaps my name, and there you'll see my channel as well. It's very interesting work, and, and it will be interesting to have you as, you as you develop this more fully. It'd be interesting to have you back to talk more about it. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we go, sir? No, that's the lot. Thank you, Kevin, for having me. Thank you so much, and thank you, everybody, for watching this. And I'll be with you in just a moment. Thank you. Stay right where you are, Carl. Thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of KMmedia.pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named KMmedia.pro, for more details about us and our mission which is to provide great, positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, 
remember, be kind to each other because each other's all we've got. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Carl. I hope that helps you get the word out a a little bit. I will send you the edited version of this when I get it done. Great. Um, So I've got, as you know, 12 topics. This is the first of 12. My next topic is Jesus in India. Would you like to have me on? Uh, I can can send you the video in advance. Yeah, yeah. Let me look at the video and uh, and yeah. yeah. It would be it, and what you have to say is very interesting from for a lot of folks, and it would be interesting to uh, to talk to you about. But I like I like this format; just a real short thing, and with the video, and and that works. Yeah, absolutely. So, alrighty then, young man. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thanks a lot. Thank you for having me. You betcha. Just hit the red button, and you can leave the studio. And I'd like to thank everybody else for paying attention today. And uh, this has been the first day of uh, what I hope to be a long time that we're going to be here um, five days a week, Monday through Friday, and two hours a day, generally speaking, from 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific and 5 to 7 p.m. in the Eastern time zone. So with that, I'd like to thank everybody for participating today. Uh, certainly the guests that we've had on today, which we had, uh, uh, Braca gets, who is the author of 40 children's books, as well as quite a spiritual mo- mo- mover and shaker herself, velvet steel, who is a uh, transsexual from, uh, of note from Canada. And she's doing some great work to get the word out about what people are doing there. And that will also be here. And Julia Sullivan, who we were talking about, uh, the Nez Pierce war chief Joseph, which, uh, happened in Washington state. And she's got a book coming out and stone necklace is what's coming out in, uh, in June. And I highly recommend that you pick that up. And then we just, we just heard from Carl Delu, and, uh, and he is the author of, of a lot of interesting works that, uh, that may shake up the world just a little bit. So with that, I'd like to thank everybody for being here and I hope you all have a terrific day and remember be kind to one another and take care. And, uh, and I'll leave you, I'll leave you again with, with this, our closing. Have a great day, everybody, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of kmmedia.pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named kmmedia.pro, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great, positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to each other because each other's all we've got. We'll see you next time.